Broadcasting live from sunny South Florida, this is KMA Talk Radio. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of fine cigars. Your KMA crew, the Italian scallion, Paul DeGracco, Alex Tavella, a.k.a. The Goat, and always telling it like it is, Honest Abe. I like to smoke them like the Winston Churchill. Good morning. Welcome, everyone. Honest Abe here with our crew and our lovely guest broadcasting this historic day from the historic J.C. Newman Cigar Factory here in the heart of Ybor City, Florida. Uh, thank you for joining us all this morning. We came out here live. Thank you to our hosts, uh, Bobby and Eric Newman. Once again, uh, beautiful. What a, what a historic, great place to be for this historic milestone event. I'm also here with my gang, the Italian scallion himself, Paul hey, DeGracco. Hey, hey. And none other than the man they know as the GOAT, Alex Tavella. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. So we had a heck of a ride here. Um, <laughs> we did. We did. Uh, we really had to refrain from going to Orlando because the second Paul saw the Orlando exit. Well, it's only 45 minutes away from here. We can go on the way home. Yeah, he wants to go to Disney. <laughs> He's hard up. He wants to go. I mean, to listen, but by no means am I upset that we're in this historic building, in this historic city that we all love so much. and. Just on the way home, we could make a stop. I, I was asking Paul to drive us home because this is like my third Bloody Mary already this morning. And now that I'm thinking about it, I don't think we can let him drive home because I know I'll wake we'll wind up. up at Disney, yeah. The GPS at, at the sent me to Disney Springs. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. That's just how We'll it works. wake up in the Magic Kingdom. So <laughs> we have to reevaluate the plan to get home. Maybe Epcot so you can t- continue your Bloody Marys. Yes. I'll give you that. All right. Drop me off at Epcot and you can go see Mickey. <laughs> How's that? Um, no, it's great to be here. Ten years gone by like it was nothing we started kma radio actually the, the story was this we didn't i didn't I, would, I didn't want to do kma talk radio um we were approached by at that time uh i it was iheart media back or clear channel back then and the local programmer was a patron of our cigar store and he came in with an idea to do a cigar show and i'm like no not happening and two of our employees at the time uh brandon who who uh started the show with us and Adam, who everybody knows is the brewmeister were working for me and they both had worked for clear channel and they actually talked me into it. And I was talking with Eric before the show. He thought we'd ever make the 10 years. And, um, our original contract was a 13 week contract. That's kind of what we thought we were going to do. Try this out for 13 weeks, have a good time. If you got to 13 weeks, if we made it to 13 <laughs> weeks, right, literally. Exactly, exactly. And, and just so you know, when we went to, Clear Channel, we walked in the studio the first Saturday morning, and they walked us in the room. They said, here you go, and walked away. Did you have equipment? No, it was all their equipment, but we have never done radio. Nobody was there to run the board. Nobody was there to run. I mean, literally, like, here you go, walked away. So we did our 13 weeks, and to our surprise, a lot of people were listening, and we developed a pretty good followership, followership early on. So we then decided, okay, well, I guess this is something that, we might want to do so we wanted to go to two hours and clear channel didn't have an opening other than coming in an hour earlier 
And I think at that time we were starting the show at 9 a.m. And at that time, Emily and Brandon were volunteering their time. I don't think we were getting paid for it back then. We so you're saying you'd have to get Emily to the studio at, at 8 a.m. on a never, Saturday. Yeah, never going to happen. Listen, yeah. Forget so about listeners at 8 a.m. Yeah, you're not yeah get exactly. The guys yeah. <laughs> And believe me, during those 13 weeks at 9 a.m., we had come over, come in hungover or directly after a smoking event and, like, were barely awake a lot of the times. I can't remember who it was. I think it was, I think it was Charlie Tarano came in one episode. It was right after our My Father, uh, Alijo, release. And he's like, man, I could smell the alcohol through the pores. <laughs> and you, you people. Was that the night you, you guys didn't even sleep? We didn't even go to bed that night, yeah. yeah. So I, I was fortunate enough to meet a man named Joe Ranieri, who actually uh, was a program director at another station called CV Radio. And um, Joe actually went on to be a, a um, the morning host of one of the most popular morning shows in, in Palm, West Palm Beach. But he really took us under his wing, mentored us, showed us how to rejoin and how to kind of make a semi now actually what a real radio show was. And um, then he moved on. And at some point then we, we, Got our first producer, then our second producer, and then our current. Well, I guess there was a third. There was a third, third and a fourth. A third and a fourth. <laughs> um, and I, I think after ten years, we kind of got a show to a point where we actually liked the production value, what it was. I mean, we stumbled a lot over the years: goofy things, trumpet playing, and ball gag karaoke, and, punching. I mean, oh yeah, well John punished right. the producer. Yeah, we had right. the, the punished the producer, and John took some real abuse. Thank God that one's over with. He got <laughs> he got he got punched in the gut by a uh, I, don't, I think it was the middleweight um, Cletus the Russian. No, 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 no the, the, Hebrew the Hebrew Hammer. Hammer. Oh, Cletus, Cletus Hammer. Right. He, he ate he ate live cockroaches. He got paddled by a dominatrix during the show. I mean, like he. All right, so there were some positives for him. No, yeah, he took a lot of abuse in that segment, but he he <laughs> he, he liked it. I mean, he liked it. Um, yeah, we had a lot of goofy things over the years, but we've, I think, become a, a, a now a Saturday morning uh, tradition for many people across the country. Uh, and it surprises me how many people get up waiting for us to get on a tennis. Yeah. So, uh, and, and even other shops, too, which is, is kind of humbling because uh, there's shops around the country that open up and play our show. The retailers that have supported the show around the country has just been amazing and a testament. And when we become friends with them. Yeah. So, um, it, it's been a heck of a ride 10 years. Um, did I think we'd still be doing this 10 years later? No, I'm pretty sure along the way I said we need to stop doing it at least. I think you said that about a month ago. I think I, I said about a month ago, <laughs> <laughs> at least two or three times. During, during the six hour setup yesterday, maybe you said yeah. that. No, the setup, <laughs> the setup was all right. But yeah, I mean, I, I think I've said it at least two or three times, but we just can't stop doing it. Cause honestly, the day I think we enjoy it and we've been lucky enough to have great supporting casts. Um, and it's made a great show, and I couldn't think of a better historical place to have a milestone show than this place right here. It's been here for in two different centuries, in four different generations, and uh, we're going to get a lot into that in our Meet Your Maker segment, but we couldn't ask for a better spot. So very, very, very cool to be here. And Alex, I mean, you kind of got on now. You've been on KMA a little over a year. I don't even know if it's been that long. Yeah. I don't think it's been that long. Yeah. I, 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 my, my first show was, uh, was a guest appearance. It was oh, Juan Cancel, was out. No, was it? No, 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 no. Oh. It was Lars Teen. Lars Teen. What Teen. a show. What a show to break you. Yeah, 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 yeah. I never did it. Go ahead. Yeah, sure. It should be fine. Interesting show. Just Studio 54 least. talk. And yeah, and... yeah. It was, it was, it was a wild time. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, then it just kind of took. Yeah. Did you watch the show before we asked you, Juan? Yeah, I did. Were you a watcher? You know, actually, because you know I have my 
Saturday haircut every, yes. every Saturday. So it would be driving to the show and then catch the rest of it driving home. You're actually, your barbershop actually plays the show. They do play the at show. At the barbershop. Yes, they do. Yeah. And, and wear our shirts. They're supporters. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah I've seen pictures. Oh, yeah. oh, that's cool. Yeah. I like that. I mean, that's the one thing over the years that's kind of been hard to, you know, we've had a lot of actually different co-hosts over the year from Brandon uh, the Mick to Adam to Lady M, um, who had just had her second baby. So anybody out there who's old Lady M fans and remembers Lady M, she just had her second baby, Coco. So she's been enjoying motherhood and doing a great job. And, you know, we're very happy for her. Um, the, it's the hard thing is to find people who can actually just talk into a microphone. Because you'd be surprised. There's a lot of times like, oh, this person is going to be great because we have conversations in the office and we'll talk and we'll have, and then they get on the radio and they just freeze. Yep. The second they, you put a microphone in yeah, front of them. They yeah. think it's a different universe. I'll never forget. And, and here's, a, here's a perfect example because many of you know, and I'm going to say it, um, Eric Espinosa, who I think was maybe the second or third guest on KMA Talk Radio. And that's when we were doing terrestrial radio because at one point we were, I think, in four or five different markets. I think at, one, at the highest we five? may have been at six. Yeah, we were in six different markets yeah. on terrestrial radio. And at some point along the way, we just figured out that it really didn't matter because no one was really listening to the show on terrestrial radio. Um, so we just stopped chasing that dream. Um, but Eric Espinosa, who I think was the third guest, and, and anybody who knows him, I mean, knows you can't shut him up. I mean, he just Ever. loves to talk. So um, Great stories. He was nervous. He was so nervous. Like, he called me up, and he actually told me like, he took, like, a Xanax or something, a Valium, <laughs> before the show. And that's that's the difficulty of sometimes of getting people just to be really? themselves. And I, I feel like he's gotten better over time then. Because yeah, because I mean, once you break the ice right, and get right, past right. it, but that first time he was actually nervous. And I, and I just keep telling people, just pretend we're in my office talking. You know, what I mean, it's like no difference in when we're just talking live. There's just a stick in front of you. Which even you know back then, you know, not in front of a crowd. You're just in a room. You're essentially it's just like being in your office, except there's a microphone. That's it. I mean, it's just that's three, it. Three, four years in there, and people. Freeze up. I, I never forget when Lady M left, you know, after she got married and you know, moved on with her life, we had a really hard time replacing I, her. I, I really w was hoping to keep a female presence on the show. I loved having Emily as a female presence yeah, on, me on too. the show. We settled for Paul. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was there at the time well, still. But we went through, what, about four? Yeah, four. probably four different. Well, one that lasted a little bit longer than the others. And, and at that time, Paul was really just producing, so he really wasn't on the air. He was behind the glass, and he would comment in, but wasn't really a kind host. Of, yeah, kind of had a camera on me through the glass. I was, yeah. I was back there with Colin. But we had such a hard time replacing her, and Paul was just yeah, actually natural. I'm like, you know, just come across the glass at this point. You just sit at the table. Sit and, over here. Yeah, be a host, because um, I, I don't think we're going to be able to find a, an adequate replacement. And we struggled with that. But um, my kids grew up. On the radio show, my daughter used to come every Saturday morning. I think we have a soundbite. I should have dug it up. We have a soundbite when she was like four years old where she did a rejoiner yep. on KMA Talk Radio. This so, is my dad. Yeah. My, my dad's the cigar king and I'm the cigar princess. <laughs> yeah. That was, yeah. So it, it's, it's been a heck, you know, of, of a 10 years. And I'm literally sitting between two historical gentlemen who have a lot more than 10 years in this industry and their family in this company. And um, I don't think we should just waste time and just get right into our meet your maker segment and, and start, uh, you know, talking with these fine gentlemen to my right and left. Absolutely.
I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell. It's time to meet your maker. On this very special 10th anniversary episode, I'm honored and privileged to be sitting here with a family that's presence in this industry has spanned two different centuries. I believe they're four, four generations in and have one of the most historic sites in America when it comes to the cigar industry. So uh, please, everybody, give a warm welcome to uh, Bobby and Eric Newman from J.C. Newman Cigars. Thank you. Thank you, Abe. Welcome into our home. Congratulations on making it t- 10 years. It, uh, you know, it's almost like a story that when Car- Marvin Schenken started Scarpistinato and Carlos Fuente, he gave a big sales pitch to Carlos Fuente Sr. about his magazine. And he did his magazine, and Carlos Fuente looked at him and says, is there going to be a second issue? <laughs> he thought there'll be a second issue, Scarpistinato, and you for going 10 years, starting 13 weeks, not exactly knowing what you're doing. You learned on the fly, and here you are. It's a testament to you. There's a lot of people that have copied you after all of these years, but there's only one honest tape, so congratulations. Uh, thank you very much. I appreciate it, and thank you for opening your business and home and, and, and this legendary place for us, and uh, we're honored and privileged to be here. I tell you, Abe, last night was like having an outer body experience. We went to, the, the five of us went to the Columbia restaurant and telling stories. If... We didn't have the show this morning. We'd still be there talking. Literally. Probably. We would still be there talking. Sharing stories and stuff. And it was a great time. It really is. And I was talking to you before the show. You know, when I got in this industry, and, and, and both of you know one of my greatest mentors of all time, Sal Fontana, um, God rest his soul. But I literally would hear stories day in and day out. Stories about people I didn't even know at the time. Right. You know, but he'd have all these great stories and things were happening. And I just sat there and I would be amazed and listen to him. And now we're the people <laughs> telling the <laughs> stories in the room, you know, to, to other people. But we had a great time. And um, we got to see this place while you were in the middle right. of remodeling it. And what a job. I mean, this is, this is, and if people don't know it, and they haven't been to Tampa, this is a Tampa destination tourist attraction, whether you're a cigar lover or not. You have built a piece of history here. And anyone coming through Tampa, whether you are passionate about cigars, whether you are a cigar smoker or not, this is really a place worthy of coming and, and, and learning a little piece about history here and what has gone on here in Tampa for over a century. Eric, you should tell, share the, inf- the story about Drew, his idea, and how we thought he was crazy. <laughs> Tampa is the cigar city. At one time, Tampa had 150 cigar factories just like this. Wow. We uh, talk about our, our company history and my grandfather a little, bit, a little bit later, but we moved here in 1954. They're 10 big family-owned cigar companies, all making Cuban cigars, Cuban filler, Cuban wrapper, and Cuban binder. Even then, Tampa was the fine cigar cap of the world. Hey, we used to be able to get up on our roof it's all of our competitors all over the United States for our roof because all the premium cigars sold in the United States was made right here in Tampa. From our, behind our, our building here is a Perfect Garcia factory. They made the number one selling cigar in, in Chicago. Bering Cigars, Bering Plazas, Jimmy Corral, great, great cigars. We had Gold Label, 
now it's a U-Haul factory. Gold Label used to be advertised by Howard Cosell, a Monday Night Football. Wow. They used to sing Monday Night Football. You know, I can't really sing, but they used to have the Gold Finger. Are you old guys remember Gold Finger? Gold Finger. Gold Label. And that was, you know, that was here. Uh, Garcia Vega used to be a long filler cigar was made here. Fuente was made here. Have a Tampa was made here. Tommy Morgan, Morgan cigar was made here. This really, all the famous cigars were made here in Tampa. Then the um, Frank Unessa made his Hoy de Monterey, punch cigars here in Tampa. And then the Cuban Embargo came in 1962 when one by one the other cigar factories merged with other companies up north, moved offshore or, or sold their business all together, just closed their, their doors. And we are still here. And anyway, last year was 125th year anniversary that our grandfather, Jason Newman, founded our company three centuries, you know, 1895. And normally when you have a gift, birthday gift, you have a birthday party, people bring gifts to you. Well, my son, Drew, who's now uh, more involved in our business, had the idea and said, I want to give a gift to the city. I want to turn ourselves into a tourist attraction like the Bourbon Trail is in Kentucky. Right now we have our factory in Esteli. The last cigar we make our brick house and quorum there. And, and Esteli is a great place. You've been to Esteli. I'm sure plenty, yep. plenty of cigars are made there. In fact, there's more cigars made in Esteli than any other city in the, in, the, in the world, handmade cigars. But it's a pain in the butt to get there. To fly to Miami, which is no fun. Think of Miami to Managua. Then a two and a half hour bus ride from Managua to Esteli. So let's turn ourselves into a tourist attraction so people can, can come here and see how cigars are made. You don't need a passport. Well, Drew had this idea. He wanted to triple the size of our museum, start making cigars by hand in this room here, make a hand cigar factory within a factory, which is another, another story, put a little movie theater downstairs, and actually give, really, give tours here. So we give a lot of public tours. We're in the business of making cigars. We make cigars on hand-operated cigar machines, about 60,000 a day. We also ship cigars. We ship our cigars and Fuente cigars all over the country, including to, to, to you. That is our main business. But Drew wanted to turn this place into a museum as well as a cigar factory. I said, Drew, this is, this is crazy. You know, it's, <laughs> you know, it's going to cost a lot of money. You know, it's, but I tell you what, you wait till your mother and I die <laughs> and get your inheritance or you can do it now. Because it's going to cost a lot of money. And this is Drew's idea. And long story short, you're here. You brought your fans here. And we are absolutely thrilled to uh, welcome you here to, oh, to, uh, today. Thank you. I mean, it really is an amazing job. And I, I'm telling anybody who's watching this out there, if you're driving or anywhere near Tampa and you haven't been here, you, oh, thank you, sweetheart. They're keeping me fueled for the day. <laughs> um, if, if, if you haven't been anywhere, if you're anywhere near here, it, it, this is a must-do to come and see this place. And I was actually surprised when we were setting up yesterday. It took us, I don't know, about five or six hours to really kind of figure the setup here. Um, there was a lot of tours going on yesterday. They, I mean, they were just going on. Yeah, I mean, they were coming around. up in here. Absolutely. They're... I mean, there were tours going on. Mm -hmm. We've been giving tours. We have 10 tours a week. You can sign up for it at com. And going to our factory is like walking back in time. We're making cigars in the same antique cigar machines our grandfather bought in the 1930s. And you can think there's no product for eating cigars. There's no widget made today being made on the same machine as it was 90 years ago. Behind me, Lewis is... Uh, 
making handmade cigars, making the American, I, I b b believe. Same way our grandfather made them in 1895. There's no product made in this country, forgetting cigars of any kind, that's made the same way it was made in the 1890s. But, but cigars are, and it's really, really special. And let's go back, I mean, these floors, was, this building was built in 1910, this factory was, original floors, original ceilings. I hope everybody here gets a chance to walk, to walk around. But speaking of, the, of these tours, our people come to work every day. They cannot believe people are coming, actually coming, pay money, it's like $15 just to have a, just to cover the, the expenses here, $15 to watch them to do what they do every day. They, right. come, they come to, to work, see them they at work. slip, they yeah. make cigars, <laughs> they strip tobacco, right. they mix the, the, the tobacco, they bundle, they self, and people actually want to see what we do. And we say, yes, they do, which is, helps us because we're always trying to get them to make better cigars. When you roll a cigar, make sure you know, the munch is made well, it, it draws, it burns, take pride in, in your work. They are just blown away by seeing people actually want to see what they do. Yeah. So it, 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 it's, that's great. I, I want to go back to, okay, go ahead. No, I got a question. I'm just curious. So you have these beautiful, basically antique machines still operating. What do you do when you need a part? Yeah, that's a great, great question. Something great great question. Making parts are really hard. Back in the old days, when you had 10, 10 other factories here, if a machine part broke, a gear broke, our head mechanic would call the head mechanic of Corral or go label, and they just swap parts. There's no way to swap parts with. We have a machine shop. We, we, do, we make some of our, our parts, but a lot of them we have to buy from machine shops on the outside. We used to have a cigar machine graveyard in the basement. It's still there. <laughs> We've cannibalized every single part we can. So it, 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 is, it is hard. It so when something breaks, you manufacture it to fix it, basically. We, we manufacture it. We do more and more contract manufacturing from machine shops outside which is hard. We always buy four or five gears at a time because making five gears the same price as one, right. one, one gear. But each machine has 10,000 moving parts. <laughs> wow. American Machine and Foundry, they're the bowling ball people, the recreational people. You see the red triangle. About uh, maybe 100 years ago, they were watching somebody make cigars by hand. They said, yeah, we can do that on a machine. So they invented this machine. You see them downstairs. And you haven't, we have, the machines are downstairs. Unfortunately, they aren't running to, to, today. But they're... Um, they're, they're working Monday through Friday, and it's they're amazing machines. If anybody wants, our stripping machines are working today. I was downstairs checking things out, and we have uh, four strippers, two men and two women today. I'm supposed to call them stemmers, but every cigar factory had uh, strippers. Strippers. I got excited for a second. Machines <laughs> made in 1910. That's the Bloody Mary's talking. Yeah. Well, yeah. We have machines made in 1910 that we're still using. 1930 we're still using. It is like walking back in time. But it's not a museum. This are business and we're just happy to, to uh, share it with everybody no thank you and i, I want to go back to we talked about how your family came over and that was your grandfather jc newman and 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 bobby you shared a story with me last night i, I think the, the listeners should hear it because i had a question for bobby last night julius caesar is a heck of a name to have you know what i mean i mean i was just said there has to be a story with how your grandfather i mean how you, you know they decided to name him Julius Caesar, and it's it's a great story. And why don't you share the story about how your grandfather came to this country and, and how that name happened? Yeah, would love to. I tell you, Hollywood cannot make up this story. Grandpa J.C. was born in 1875, ten years after the American Civil War, 
and Eric and I remember very well. How can that? I'm serious. <laughs> You're not that old, Bob. I'm not that old. Maybe you are. <laughs> I'm only 39 as well. Bobby's in sales. You'd never know. <laughs> uh, but Grandpa JC, he died in, uh, at the age of 83. It was 1958. Is that 58, correct? Yeah. 58. And 83 years old. But when he came to the United States, like most of your relatives. Born in Austria, Hungary. Yeah, he came from Hungary in uh, 1888 and came through the Baltimore, not Ellis Island, but Baltimore. And uh, Grandpa JC spoke uh, no English. He spoke only Hungarian and German. Immigration officer, through translators, uh, told him that uh, he, you, you cannot come to the United States unless you have a middle name. So we're going to give you a name. His name was actually His Julius. Julius Neumann. 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 He was from Hungary, um, Eastern Hungary. So they gave him the name. We're going to call you Caesar. You'll be Julius Caesar. And your new last name, by the way, is Newman, and an E-W-M-A-N. And Grandpa J.C. was, we were talking about last night, he was 5'2", fully grown, and had a little Napoleonic complex. And his picture, I asked Gabe, Maybe it was uh, if I could touch you because his wedding pictures are hysterical because his he married a woman three inches taller than him. But we sent the ad to, uh, again. Drew had a great idea. Let's come out with a line extension of Diamond Crown. We'll call it Julius Caesar, an anniversary of Grandpa JC's 135th birthday in 1875. So we put them in these beautiful leather boxes like this, and a picture. This is what again. Let's, let's dress them up. This is what Grandpa J.C. looked like in May of 1895. <laughs> minus the, the Caesar regalia. And uh, so we sent the, ad, sent the ad to Cigar Aficionado, and Caesar is, we didn't spell it wrong. The immigration officer spelled it wrong. It, it's, uh, it should be, where it says Caesar, it should be A-R rather than E-R. So we sent the ad to Cigar Aficionado, and they called us. He said, you spelled your grandfather's name wrong. They said, no, he didn't. That's what, that is what is on his, uh, his passport and his uh, entry to the United States. So not only was he given the name by an immigration officer, they spelled it wrong. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Hey, we came out with Julius Caesar. We came out with it in a, we got three comments, three letters from people said, you bunch of schmucks there. Your marketing, your marketing department screwed up. You misspelled Caesar. <laughs> so maybe we were schmucks, but it's working. Oh, well, hey. <laughs> So when, when, when your grandfather came to the country, how did he end up getting in the cigar business? Well, my grandfather, he couldn't speak English, came with his four brothers and two sisters. His brothers became tailors, because that's what immigrants did. They made clothes. He didn't want to make clothes, so his mother paid a cigar maker $3 a month to teach her son how to make cigars in 1890. Became a good cigar uh, apprentice, and he was really had a good job there. But in 18... Uh, 94, 95, there's a big recession in Cleveland. Let off all the cigar makers. So sitting around. So was he actually rolling cigars? He was rolling cigars. Wow. He'd been a, a good cigar roller as an apprentice. He was working for another company, and we got laid off. And he was sitting around home one day, and his mother, who wore the pants in the family, she looks like a Russian shop putter, our great-grandmother, <laughs> <laughs> for pictures in our museum. But back in, back in 1895, Women, there was no electricity. Women go to the grocery store every day. She tells a grocer, I buy all my cigar, I buy all my food from you, groceries from you every day. I come here every day for my family. How about buying cigars for my son? Because Grandpa J.C. had been laid off, so he, she came home with an order for 500 cigars. 
my grandfather from family grocery. Grandpa, my grandfather then had to borrow $50 from his mother, bought two bales of tobacco, found some old boards, and converted the family barn into a scarf factory, one-man scarf factory. And Grandpa J.C. was a great talker, better than Bobby and me. He got an order for 2,500 cigars from the local saloon. Then he got an order for 10,000 cigars from Cleveland's largest wholesale grocer. He got so many orders, he's going to make them all himself. He's got so his other buddies to come work for him. In May of 1895, when he started J. Stevens Cigar Company, life was great. 20 years old, five employees, good business. Unfortunately, it gets cold in Cleveland. Winter comes. The barn's not heated. So oh. moves the whole operation oh. to the family <laughs> basement. And her mother discovered that her fruits and vegetables, which she canned for the winter, start to taste like tobacco. Oh, wow. <laughs> she kicks them out of the house. They're all the cigar, all five rollers. They had to step a uh, cigar factory downtown Cleveland. And that's, that was his first factory. He made a number of factories there. But that's the way he started. In fact, when Grandpa J.C. started in 1895, there are 42,000 licensed cigar manufacturers. You have to have a license then, like to today, to pay federal excise taxes. Some things haven't changed. And those 42,000 cigar manufacturers from 1895 were, were the only one that's left. That's still owned and operated by the founding. Is that, is that true? Wow. Yes, that's true. So we're, we're still here. We're wow. Still fortunate. I've, I've had the honor in my career and the pleasure to actually meet your father, right. um, Stanford. In fact, the, the Stanford number nine Cameroon, when it came out, Stanford's Reserve, was, was one of my favorite cigars historically, one of my all-time greats. And I've always said I've been a big Cameroon smoker, so I, I, re, I really had the honor and pleasure to meet him. When you guys were growing up, and, and, and your father obviously continued the work of your grandfather, did you guys figure you were going in the business no matter what, or did you have other career plans? Well, Bobby, I tell you what, again, Hollywood could not make up this story. <laughs> 1960, my mother uh, brought my brother and I to the factory, and How old were you guys at this time? Uh, well, now I'm 39 years old. <laughs> now, I'll, I'll let you figure that. Very young, very young. Eric and I are the same age. We're just not twins. And uh, so Bobby's three years younger. He just looks. He just looks older. Oh. <laughs> typical brothers. Right, typical. <laughs> I've been road hard and put away wet. So I think. Okay. So mom and, and great story. So mom takes us to the factory. We were making 300,000 cigars a day at the time. Rigoletto, we were making rig the brand called Rigoletto. These are machine, made by machine at yeah, this point. 300,000 cigars, cigars a day yeah, is a, that's a, that's a ton of cigars. It's a lot. It's 60 million a year. We're making, a, uh, this is before the embargo, it was Cuban binder, Cuban wrapper, uh, and Cuban uh, filler. What they call clear Havana's today. Clear Havana. Clear Havana's. Exactly, yes, yes. And uh, the most of the wrappers were candela or green back then, which uh, people d didn't realize. So we're going through the factory, and there was a, our, our biggest seller at the time was a cigar called Rigoletto Palma Grande. And uh, we saw it being made, we saw it packaged, and the next day, my parents, this is before the interstates were around, we drove down to Miami, and we thought we were going to Los Angeles back then, no interstates, and we stayed at the Fountain Blue Hotel, which is brand new, just and fascinating place. Never, we've never been to Miami. Eric and I never been to Miami Beach. We and so we. It was like going to a different country. Oh my God! It Literally. Was, yeah, yeah. And again, this is before the Cuban embargoes. All the lot, lots of Hollywood actors were living down there, and you, they had tours, uh, cruise tours up and down the canals to see. This is Jackie Gleason, which 
probably don't, most of you don't know who Jackie Gleason to is. To the moon, Alice. Exactly. Right. So we, we, Dad said, come work with me in the morning. And uh, we, we went with our salesman and Dad. And uh, we started calling on accounts. First account we went into, uh, Eric and I, little snot-nosed little kids, a man comes in and he said, and he asked the, the person behind the counter, the manager, he said, do you have a pack of Rigoletto Palma Grandes? And uh, so he bought it. Something clicked in my head at that time. It was, it was like everyone has your aha moment. This is, and I thought that was the neatest thing I'd ever seen. At that point, I was nine years old. Nine? Nine? nine, nine yeah. Wow. And it was like lightning struck. I knew then I wanted to be a cigar salesman. I wanted and I just, just, and I've had a passion for it. And uh, even to uh, the passion has never left. And you've heard it, now; it's a popular statement. They say if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. I mean, we all work hard, right. and, and but still, it's it's been a we've been up and down with our leverage buyout. We've we've had uh, uh, Eric was talking about Grandpa JC when he started at forty two thousand cigar manufacturers, and um, everything is trans. We obviously say it's transparent, but. 1863, Abraham Lincoln, it was his idea to, because the North was, was going bankrupt during the Civil War, he said, let's put a tax on something that is 80% of American males use, and it's consumed over and over and over again. It was called cigars. <laughs> Abraham Lincoln was the first American Sorry. president. Yeah, to put, and I love it. <laughs> Your namesake. I, I love Abe Lincoln. I love, and I love you, Abe. We love you. We Thank all love you. Abe. Thank you. So he put the tax on. It was, a pin, it was a penny for every box of 50 cigars, and you had to go to the How ironic, house. the coin he's on. Yeah. <laughs> how ironic. Yeah. A penny for every how many cigars? One? Or? For, for, for every box of 50. Whoa, okay. Back then, we've got, uh, you see these old boxes of 100, boxes of 200. So if it was 200 cigars, you had to go and, and buy the post office. You had to buy four tax stamps. And you can buy these old tax stamps on, on uh, uh, eBay. You buy the stamps, you had to glue them to the bottom of your uh, your box of cigars. And that tax has never been taken off. And as you know, we've been fighting, uh, Eric and I and Drew, along with Carlos Fuente and some others, we've been at the tip of the spear of this, this 12-year battle against the FDA uh, to, to take this, this we, we're trying to become unregulated. Mm -hmm. Bobby, as long as you're telling an old story, let me tell you that story. That Bobby may not even know the story of that trip. I was 12, Bobby was nine, we go in this store. And Alan, it was Mike's store. Everybody knows, you know Mike's, Mike? Mike's, Mike's, Mike's Cigars? Yes. Oh, wow. And we had a, we had a, our Rigoletto Papa Grandi was the biggest selling 15 cent cigar because our father came with the idea, you have a free cigar, you buy five cigars, you get one cigar free, it was like a little sleeve attached to it. The package came in that, that way. We went in there, Mike had taken all the free cigars off. <laughs> and so, so if he came in there as a customer and such a retailer him, move such a retailer move so if he came in there asking for the free cigar he would give it to you but he made the extra money because of it was he took him off there so uh, Mike is now deceased if he was here he'd probably say yeah that's a that's a true 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 story but some of the old timers might remember Mike's, but that—that's that was Mike's. That you know, we all—we all was the original Mike. The original Mike. The original Mike. Original Mike. We also, you know, Ozzy was a brother. Ozzy. Yeah, you're right. Because I only knew Oscar when when he was running Mike's. Okay. And you know, it's what we were last night. We were dinner. Sixty years ago, you shouldn't remember. No, I didn't. More than. No, I didn't. I don't. 
And I, we were at dinner last night at the Columbia, and I was, I was telling Abe, I was telling you stories. I said, Abe, you're, this being with you, it's so stimulating to bring back these great stories. Unbelievable. And Alan Goldfarb, regional sales manager and export manager for Central and South America, is with us. And Alan, you remember Alex Gibblestein? Of course. We also went to, yeah, do you remember? Magic. I didn't even see it show up. Magic. <laughs> Thank you, Adria. Adria, my hero. <laughs> do you re- I don't know, Abe, if you remember Alex Gimbelstein, mm, no. an old retailer in Miami Beach. But yeah, yes. But in, anyway, he also visited there, and, and Alex's uh, his father did the same thing. They took off, uh, they took off these free cigars and sold them. Yeah, I mean but, that's uh, a, that's the common retailer. Well, retailers do that, Move. Abe. They yeah, that's, that. a, that's <laughs> a common. I came from the grocery business. I mean, they, the, the, the manufacturers would come in and put like two dollar coupons on stuff, and you. Peel them all. It's <laughs> a common retail move. And for our listeners who don't know, Alan's off camera, but Alan has been my dear friend and my rep for J.C. Newman Fuente for almost 25 years. And yeah, and Alan was the gentleman who actually jammed on the guitar with my daughter during the Great Smoke and put on one hell of a historic epic show for us. So thank you again for that. So um, he's off camera, but that's who we're talking about right now. So I find it amazing that you had your aha moment at nine years old because. I wasn't sure which Matchbox Hot Wheel I wanted at nine years old. Right, <laughs> right, right, right. Right, and we and we talk to a lot of folks that are in the business, and they're like, "Well, I didn't know I wanted to be into the into the in the business until I went out into the world and started another career." And I was like, "Oh my God, why why am I not a part of this thing that's such a such an inherent thing inside of me and in my family?" Did so you that's... did you feel the same way, Eric? Did you feel that this was you were going to go in this business, or did you have something else you thought you were going to do? It's funny. Some of my friends, Carlos Fuente, grew up in the business. Our father and grandfather were, was from the old school. Based. People asked me, did you hang around the factory? I said, no, we were never in the factory when we were kids. At those days, kids are supposed to be seen but not heard. So we never came around. And I, when I went to college, I, I uh, wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I got a business, uh, business d- d- degree, and everyone was looking for, for, for jobs. And you can tell when the recruiters were coming to the school because everybody would dress up in three-piece suits. You know, I never dressed in a three-piece suits because, uh, gee, I thought I could go in the family business. And, I, and they were looking for jobs, looking for jobs, saying, I have a job. Let me, let me, let me try it out. That was 49 years later. That's 49 years ago and 49 years here today. Having a look, look back, it's been quite, quite a ride. The industry has changed so much in for, for 49 years. We feel privileged. Bobby and I are third generation. We're passing the torch to my son, Drew, and Bobby's kids are also involved in their own cigar business as well. I've handed the torch to my son, Drew. I just haven't let go of it yet. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, was, that was the problem, my father, because I, I ended up getting thrown into the family business, which was a grocery business, and I was doing cigar distribution simultaneously and graphics at the time. And I got thrown in, and that was kind of my thing. My my father wouldn't let go, and that's what made me actually move to Florida. So, <laughs> are you telling me I need to loosen up no, my grip, babe? Is that what well, you're saying? No, you know what's funny is because most people don't know, but you know, Drew is not new in the business. Drew was active, and I remember him when I used to be on the the cigar bulletin boards. Oh my God. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm going back almost 20 years can, ago. Can I say something too about that age? Yeah. When he was 12 years old, Drew. It, uh, he's now 39. He said, Uncle Bob, this was in the early 90s. And he said, Uncle Bobby, we need a website. I said, Drew, that's a great idea. What's a website? <laughs> <laughs> no one had ever heard of it. 
And he, so he started CigarFamily.com. A little, obviously he was uh, He was young. 12 at the time? I didn't even know he was 12. Yeah. And, I mean, 14, and, really, Bobby. 14, but, but uh, you, 12, you're, 14. you're in sales. You can be honest. You can be in sales and say whatever it is. He's only th- uh, 39, too, right, Bobby? <laughs> the checks in the mail. Checks in the mail. But and when he started this, and uh, it became the largest chat room in, in, the, in the world, in the cigar industry. I, I was part of that family. I was uh, very active on the old cigar family right. bulletin boards. And, and that's how I first kind of knew Drew, because he was kind of running it, and, and was in charge of it. And, and that was, it's got to be close to 20 years ago. It's not 15 minimum. Let's see. Eric, when the cigar? 95 when it started. 95, five. It's 26 yeah. years ago. Right? Wow. Yeah. And we, yeah. It's funny. Yeah. It's another funny. There's a, a fellow there, Cousin Newman over there. We have a, a group that uh, we in the Fuentes start Cigar Family Project in the Dominican Republic. But before that, we started the Cigar Family Charitable Foundation. And what was the Cigar Family? In 1998, <clears throat> Drew said, He's been, the chat room was going on for a couple of years. And he said, Dad, we need, everybody wants to meet each other in person. We need to have a, a reunion, a meeting in Tampa. And so people can meet each other. I said, Drew, that's not going to happen. We're in the cigar business. We're not in the travel business. We're in the tour business. We aren't going to do that. Dad, we, I wanna, really want to do it. And Drew is persistent, like his mother. So in 1998, we had the first cigar family celebration meeting in, here in Tampa. And we had all these old guys, old guys, 30, 40, 50 show up. And Drew was orchestrating the whole thing. He was welcoming everybody. They like 60, 65 people showed up this first one at the Marriott here. And they, they were looking around for Drew. They couldn't believe this little snot-nosed kid, 16 years old, who was, was <laughs> He's or, the one that or, set or it organizing up. the whole thing. And he, that was his, his job, his deal. And Drew has always loved the business. When he was nine years old, he said, I'm Grandpa J.C. reincarnated. He didn't know what reincarnated, oh, wow. reincarnated meant. <laughs> felt, felt, wow. felt this business. Yeah. We could. He would when he was a little kid. He, people would come here for tours. He he could say, "Come with me. I'll give you a tour." He can go back two hours later in the cigar fact in this factory. Said Drew, "How could you find things to do? It's it's two hours." Well, I figured two hours was long enough. I could have gone for 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 three. <laughs> and it was you know I know we're digressing here, but it was Drew's idea for the uh, American cigar. We'll talk about that later on. Whatever. Oh no, we're gonna get into America. But do you ever admit to Drew that you were wrong? I, <laughs> I had the same I, issue I, with my father. <laughs> oh, it's funny. We have a, a movie theater da- down down there. When I was grow- we were Bobby and I were growing up. We met, my grandfather died when I was ten. Bobby was seven, and my only memories of him, my father and grandfather, always argued. They always argued about really? something. Grandpa Jay, who was first generation dad, had his own ideas here. They they agreed on nothing. And then, but then I, Bobby and I come in, dad was more listening to us more than his father listened to him. One day, right behind us, every cigar factory in Tampa was built, built the same. Three stories high in a red brick. And, and the third floor, where we are, was the filler apartment of every cigar factory. All this where the tobacco was blended. Second floor was the, where the cigars were made. First floor is where the offices were and shipping. The basement was the casing apartment where you put moisture in the outside leaf. The basement is always the most humid part of every factory. But why I said that, about 100 yards behind me, my father went on a, this is the filler apartment, and we're getting tobacco from Puerto Rico, and we're making long filler cigars here, and there was knots in the, the tobacco. People were complaining that they couldn't draw. 
So my father set up this special process. He went with Raymond Lopez, our supervisor back then, got a bunch of women and put them on tables, how to straighten all this Puerto Rico tobacco. So he put in the, in the cigars, it, you know, you wouldn't have a problem with it growing. Took out the, the knots. My father goes on a trip, selling a trip for two weeks, comes back later, checks on, on what's happening up in the, up in the cigar factory, 100, years, 100 yards behind us. He goes there and he says, Where's my tables? Where's my girls? There was the process of taking the knots out of the tobacco. And the supervisor said, Raymond Lopez said, I'm sorry, Stanford, but as soon as you left, your father came up here and said, That's no way to run a factory. Get rid of that. That's not going to work. Why don't you go back the, the, the old way? One day, my grandfather, uh, uh, we exchange, uh, sold uh, one of our big, a couple of trading cigar machines with Carl Berger for broadleaf tobacco or Pennsylvania, but whatever it was. And we needed those as the cigar machines. And my father got so upset, Dad, why'd you do it? Why'd you do it? And we need the machines. Ah, we don't need machines. But Dad, what are we going to do with that tobacco? I don't going to do with tobacco, but you never lose on good tobacco. My grandfather was kind of impulsive, and they argued all the time. But anyway, the story downstairs is a, uh, is a, a video area there. We've had some interviews about five months before Dad died. In 2006, Bob and I interviewed him for five hours, and some of those interviews are down there in snippets. There's one interview there, what it was like growing up with Grandpa J.C., and my father told, told some stories that, uh, you know, number one, Grandpa J.C. thought of Caesar. He was little Caesar. He was a d dictator. You know, and that's, and then, then he said, what was, like, what was the dinner table conversation like? My father tells the story. Well, my parents spoke German, and they, spoke English, they learned English, too. Whenever they wanted to say something that they didn't want their kids to hear, they spoke in German. It used to piss the hell out of my father. He <laughs> They're always talking about him. Finally, he gave up. But that was that was the old school. Wow. So you notice he ducked the question. <laughs> you right? So do you ever say, Drew, you were right? Forget saying you were wrong. You ever say, Drew, you were right? This was a great idea. I do. I Good. do. Good on you. I do. I, I do. He, Good on you. I do. Thank you. Good on you. <laughs> you know, especially in front of his mother, too. She's on his side. <laughs> always. Always. Abe, Dad used to tell us a story, uh, a warning that he learned from his father. He said, remember the story of shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves. Well, what does that mean, shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves? He said, back when Grandpa J.C. came to the United States, uh, and in his book, and you can read his book, uh, Grandpa J.C.'s book online. By the way, we have the books for you, Thank you and, and, and your team. Um, but go to jcnewman.com and you can see Smoke Dreams. It's Grandpa JC's book he wrote when he was 80 or 81. And you can also go on and you can read it, uh, read Dad's book, Cigar Family, uh, which is the story of the first hundred years of, of, our, of us in the cigar industry. Going back, shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves, what does that mean? What it means is that when back in the 1880s, when there's Grandpa J.C. came to America, that only wealthy people could afford could afford long sleeves because you have this extra, literally extra cloth. So uh, come to the United States you, as, a, as an immigrant. We're all immigrants, and uh, the first generation works very hard and becomes successful, works day and night. Second generation sees how hard the first generation works, and they continue on with the business. The third generation. Uh, never saw how hard their grandfather worked, the first which is the first generation. They, they inherit the business, and they go Chapter 11 or Chapter 7, and they have to go back to short sleeves. <laughs> the expression was short sleeves and short sleeves in three g g generations.
Sorry about that. Which is why Bob <laughs> and I are wearing long sleeves today. <laughs> I, there's, there's, there's an expression I never heard of. Short sleeves are short sleeves. That's kind of like, you know, be nice on the way up to people. That's right. Because you might see them on the way down. That's exactly. I've yes. heard that expression. Yes, yes, yes. Um, so l let's talk about this building. I mean, talk about a, what, a, what a renovation and, and what it's done here. This factory was founded and built when? 1910 by the Regensburg family. And uh, at one time it had 1,500 uh, cigar workers in here. And they made cigars. The first brand was called the American. That's where Drew got that idea to make, which we thought was a terrible idea. And it turned out <laughs> to be a great idea. And, and yes, I did tell him that, although his father has not. And, um, uh, Wait, you haven't told him it was a good idea yet? You know, Drew came up with an idea. He said, Dad, we used to have all these hand scar makers here. I want to bring hand scar making back to Tampa. Okay. I'll bring hand scar making to this factory. I said, Drew, that's a terrible idea. <laughs> and because labor is eight times what it is in Nicaragua. I said, it, it's a lousy idea. It's hard. You need a big factory with tobacco and, and people and the whole, whole system. But Dad, I want to do it. Okay, son. Then I also wanted the first brand of the cigars Bobby was saying was the American. We have a picture downstairs in our, in our factory store. It says the, the, the American on top of the factory. And it wasn't all, all American tobacco. But, Dad, this was before Trump said, make America great again. I want to make an all-American cigar, all-American everything. American filler, American wrapper, American binder, American boxes, American bands, everything American, American molds, American, you know, paper in the row, bro, brochures there. And we, okay, so we had, the wrapper is, we had Jeff Borshowitz, another crazy guy like my son, is growing, <laughs> growing, you know, Jeff. Oh, yeah, we were just at this point. cigar, he has, he wanted, he's a frustrated farmer, he started growing this. Oh, I like that, a frustrated <laughs> farmer. <laughs> Florida, I want to make that a t-shirt. <laughs> Florida sun-grown tobacco in Claremont, so that's the wrapper that we're, we're using, Drew Estate. Claremont, the Florida. We used, we, we used the, uh, the wrapper, thank you, Bobby. The binder is connected broadleaf. Well, there's no American long filler grown in this country anymore, so we got the Mennonites to grow long filler for us in, from uh, Pennsylvania. Then we had boxes. And Drew said, I want to make American boxes. There was a box maker in Miami, Millennium Box. They make the American boxes. They cost $20 a piece. I said, Drew, I get that $20 same. Dollars $20 a box. A I get that same box made in Esteli for $5. Let's do it. No, Dad. We got to stay true to our Whoa. words. We, so anyway, everything is the bands are made in America, made in, in Orlando, um, and and the labels are the molds are all American cigars. I said, Drew, this thing is going to be so expensive. Well, I'm going to do it. We have Lewis back here rolling them. We have three rollers here and rolling cigars here. Anyway, they they, they retail between sixteen and, and twenty dollars. It's but Dad, it's going to work. It's it's going to work. It's hard to make, make cigars here, too, because most cigar makers around the world are paid on a piecework basis, meaning the more cigars you make, right. the more money you make. But it's hard to work with this tobacco. It doesn't, it's it's uh, short tobacco, some of it's holy. We have to, so we, it's hard to work. So we told Lewis and our other rollers, we want you to make the best cigars. We're going to pay you a good rate of pay. We're going to pay, we just want you to make 100 cigars a day, not the 250 to 300 that are normally made on piecework basis. And that's what's being made behind us right, right now. So their incentive, exactly, was to make it so the incentive is to make the best cigar, not the most cigars. So we have three rollers today making 100 cigars a day. 
And this uh, was his idea. He markets it. He's very careful. Everybody can't sell. It's a story, you know, but Drew sells the sizzle, sells the story, and America's been very successful. I, I thought it was a lousy idea. I don't understand it, um, but, but there's evidence at that age group, millennials that want really good products and good so, cigars. Are so, like so Drew was right? <laughs> That's twice you said that. I'm trying to get it on film for him. I'm trying to get it on camera. I'm afraid his mother is listening too. So yes, Drew was right. Oh, there you have it. Thank you, Abe. You owe me, Drew. <laughs> so, you owe me. So just so I'm clear, there, there's only three rollers rolling these cigars. Right. Yeah. It's rolled right here in this room. Uh, I know. That's we were here last it. night setting up, and we actually had to move a couple of rollers to yeah. start mid roll. <laughs> mid roll. But yeah, this yeah. is where this is the room. Where the American is rolled. And it's the American. In fact, in the corner is some product in boxes I was going to load up my truck last night. <laughs> I said, We saw them know, being packed. I mean, we can't get these cigars really. We should just like wheel this into my trunk last night and maybe we'll have a good, we'll have a good supply. Part of the renovation was to make a factory within a factory. This is where we ban, sell things, sort, uh, process tobacco as well. Originally, we were making the American downstairs before the renovation. So let's make, make them upstairs and that's what Lewis is doing. We have an aging room down, down, downstairs. You know, part of your renovation. Hope you can get, get we can give you a tour. Oh we, yeah. We have the American cigars. Uh, there's so many stories about this factory. We have an aging room down downstairs. But you're talking about the history. You know, you're talking about stories. We were renovating this place, and we found a secret set of stairs in this factory. We well, did you didn't not, even know it was here. We didn't know it was existed. That's crazy. Tampa had the mafia here in the 1930s. We had 150 factories. Every factory got robbed. It was done by the mafia. And when it was your turn to rob, work to get robbed, you just took it like a man. You couldn't, you got to get this pissed off. Here you go. You got to piss off the mafia. Here's your <laughs> weekly pickup. And uh, <laughs> yeah. it, it was, it was, because all the sky makers are paid in cash. There's no direct deposit, no, no, no checks. So a couple years ago, we were cleaning up for, for the renovation. We opened it. We found this locked door, so we moved. You didn't find a room full of cash, did you? No cash. Ah. <laughs> no cash. We found the. Uh, Great question. We opened this up, and the stores went up somewhere. So we sent one of our mechanics go up the stairs. We're in the. It's in the base. We're up on the, on the first floor. Start knocking. We want to see where it goes to. So go. Ended up underneath our copier in our in our office. <laughs> so part of our renovation was, and what it was is that. The, uh, the general manager had his office in, in the, what is now our conference room. When they, when they were getting robbed and heard the commotion, he'd take all the money, go down this trap door, the secret set of stairs. We have another vault downstairs where he would head to the mafia left. So before you leave, we're going to take you down our secret set of stairs. Bobby? Yeah, yeah I don't know if Eric knows this, but it's what I remind everyone. You know, tw I got 12 o'clock after the show. Uh, everyone will hope you'll stay for tours and you can so you can see the, the secret passageway and there's like Eric said, there's a lot a lot going on here if we left somebody there would they find them in, in, in probably 10 years mm. uh, I could hide out mm. oh wait if you do that it means I gotta drive home okay <laughs> okay and Jimmy also, Hoffa's some, not buried there something cool in our, in our, in our also that's down there we'll sh show you back when the after the Cuban embargo came all the Tampa factories were eating in the, eating into the inventory of Cuban tobacco. Cuba had a buzzword then like it does now. In fact, one of our competitors down, down the road in West Tampa, Garcia Vega, they put on their boxes. They ran ads saying, yes, we still have Havana. 
So our father got nervous in the early 60s. He kept one bill for 1958 Pinard de Rio crops. So anybody ever asked him, Stanford, do you have Cuban tobacco like Garcevega does? I said, of course we do. That bale is still there. Wow. <laughs> along in the basement, along with these old Garcevega eggs. So my ads will be glad to show, show you. Wow. I mean, just, just walking around here when, when we came in yesterday, I mean, uh, Alex, Abe, and I, you, you can't help but, like, even look at, like, the walls, the history in the windows with the bubbles in, in the handmade glass, the, the, the bricks on the walls. Abe immediately was like, that's Chicago brick, isn't it? <laughs> but the, the floors, and it, it's such a, I don't know, there's, there's a, an air when you walk into this place that is, uh, it just, it, you feel proud. I mean, it's, it's proud to walk into a place like this that's, that's been a part of, of our community of, of the United States for such a long time, and it's still, you know, there's people still bustling here. We, like we said, we were setting up last night here, and they still had, there were rollers here. It's a living time capsule. Yeah. It really, it really is. is. It really is. It's Paul, like walking Paul. back in time. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say about Elbury Lowe. You want to talk about that, Bobby? No, but, but, uh, no, but Paul, would you, we were, as we were leaving yesterday, would you tell everyone what your comments about these polls? Oh, well, I, I had said to, uh, to, this, to the crew here, I said, look at all these polls around us. And there's, there's like sets of two poles all the way down the, the room Very on either thin side. Poles. I'd say about an inch and a half in diameter. And I said, I said these look like the rebar they're putting in my, in my house. And I was immediately shot down. That's not rebar. Those are pipes. But we asked Bobby, because we honestly did not know, and he said, no, those are structurally integral to the building staying up. I mean, in fact, you were saying that you, at one point you said, you know, in some of the rooms, let's get rid of them so that we have an open space. Right. And right. the architect told you what? If you do that, the, this floor will collapse. <laughs> oh. So you change your mind? Don't run, <laughs> yeah. don't run into the bars. Yeah, don't hang on them. Do not run into the bars. Go back to this factory for a second, though. Most factories in Tampa had nicknames. This factory was known as El Relo, which is clock in Spanish. When the factory was built, there's a clock tower up above. When the factory was built, people didn't have clocks or watches. They would get up by the hourly sound of the clock, eat, go to school, and go, go to bed. It rings on the hour. We uh, renovated the clock in 2001. We, have, we used to be in a clock tower. We have the original clock downstairs. It's the only weight-driven clock in Florida. It runs on weights, and if our, guard, if our watchman or Holden doesn't remember to uh, wind the clock, it doesn't work. Wow. But it really works in actual weights made by E. Howard Company in 1910, and it's really, uh, you know, re really special. In fact, you've talked to some of the old-timers, older than I am, that you're going to visit El Relo today. They know exactly where you were going, because that's what it's called, is El Relo. Down right uh, about 300 yards from here is Cascaden Park. Al Lopez, Tony LaRusso, uh, Lou Pepinello. We have a lot of baseball players from Ybor City used to play out there. And you're supposed to be home at 6 o'clock. And you heard this bell ring six times. That was your signal. Your butt was in trouble. Wow. <laughs> so this was the icon of the whole industry. Before there was the interstate here, before there was air conditioning, before there was noise pollution, you used to be able to hear this bell all over Ybor City. It still rings. You just can't hear as much. There's a lot of no noise around here. Wow. Well, listen, we, we're wrapping up our first hour here of our 10th anniversary celebratory show of KMA Talk Radio. Um, it's been a heck of an hour. We got a lot more coming up in hour two. We will have our good friend and contributor to KMA Talk Radio of many years, William Cooper. We have our AVO as the record spin segment. Also, we have two very special segments coming up 
Ooh. talk about our 10th anniversary. Sorry, Coop, we're teasing. We're teasing, Coop. It's what we do. <laughs> but uh, we got a lot of stuff uh, loaded in for hour number two of this very special episode of KMA Talk Radio. And there's Please, the clock. There's the clock. On a note, stick with us. We'll be back in two minutes. Keep it lit. The H. Upman 1844 Classic is a medium-bodied cigar with wonderful flavor notes of toasted almonds, cocoa, coffee, and just a hint of spice. Featuring an Ecuadorian Connecticut shade wrapper, you get wonderful aroma notes of sweet coffee and chocolate. Available in a Corona, Robusto, Toro, and Churchill, this is a great time to experience the nuances of nature with the H. Upman 1844 Classic, a shade above others. Surgeon General Warning. Cigars are not a safe alternative to cigarettes. Hey, babe. Yeah? I'm almost out of wine, and I want to order some online. Where should I order from this time? KMAWines.com, of course. KMAWines.com? What's that? What's that? What's that? Hold on a second. Let me show you. You see, KMA has teamed up with Bonner Fine Wines to offer KMA listeners a fantastic deal on a Malbec three-wine sampler. You see, here is their famous Malbec grown at an altitude of 8,950 feet. Three wines from the edge of the world. An old French Malbec variety no longer found in Europe. These three wines, 200 years in the making, Yours, KMA listeners, for 53% off. Normally $130, but like I said, KMA listeners get 53% off. That makes it $69.99. So what do you think? I think we should order. I agree. And done. Are we back? We are back. Oh, look at you. Oh, that's, there you go, right here. We are back live in hour two of KMA Talk Radio, our 10th anniversary episode. I'm going to um, right now, I know exactly who's not driving home. That'll be you. Why? That, that, that's, that's, that's what? That's Eric Newman's. Okay, okay. But I am getting well, one. you're still not driving. I still am were getting the one. Were the other five Eric Newman's? Or? <laughs> I mean, I'm not counting. Listen, 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 credit to them, though. They're coming in hot. They're, they're coming, coming in, in hot good, bro. They're coming in good. Somebody may have told him, keep the bear happy. I don't know. <laughs> well, I know that I was you, Paul, wasn't it? I tipped them real well, and they've had them coming really good. So I have no... They're actually really good. That's what you it's said. That's good what Bloody said. Mary. And, you know, I'm a little bit of a Bloody Mary snob, so... You are. Have, you invented the big, delicious Bloody Mary. I mean, come on. Yes, yes. This is right up there. This is really right up there. My only complaint is the size of the cup. Yeah, it's like a thimble It's to like you. a thimble. A little, but, but I mean, thimble. they've... You no, they kept You haven't going. found the bottom of it. No, one, I haven't so found the bottom. Right. No. You're doing quite all right. What a what a cool experience it is talking to and and we've had uh we've we've had the Newmans on the show before calling in. But yes. what a really it's almost like a surreal experience for me sitting here in this room in this building listening the, to them tell the stories. The look of this room is just incredible. And 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 even when we were looking at the the screenshot. I guess they don't know we're back on the air, but we're live, guys. Yeah. We're, we're, live. We're, we're live on the air, so we're you live. Guys, yep, yep, yep. <laughs> That's what happens. You take a little break. We lost our guests. We lost everybody. <laughs> all, all hell broke loose during the break. Broke loose. 
The yeah, Bloody Marys are flowing. Let everybody know we're on the air. We appreciate it. Welcome back to join us anytime you guys are ready. Yeah, we we lost control. It's a short break. They think we're, net, we're network television. It was a yeah. two-minute break. No, 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 right. There's no three-minute break here. That was the quickest I bolted hour. to the bathroom. Listen to me. He runs normally. Look, one thing we noticed when we used to do terrestrial radio, which was awful. Um, so many breaks. We had so many breaks because we had to subsidize the show. Right. So. The affiliate networks in the other city all sold commercial time. So we literally had to take a break every 16 minutes. Oh. And you really lost the monotony of the show. And um, We'd be in a story that was like an epic story, but yeah, because of the affiliates, we had, we had, we to, had to take a hard break at <laughs> yeah. that point. Yeah, that's rough. And I would have to interrupt people sometimes mid-sentence. And I remember I was watching Coop one day, and uh, you know he'll be on shortly in the show. I was watching Coop one day, and it was Skip Martin and Steve Sock, and they were talking. And, and all of a sudden I realized, like, I've been watching this for now like an hour and 30 minutes. And, like, I didn't move. Right? And I realized it's because there was no breaks. Right. right. I was stuck watching it. Had there been a break, I would have gotten up and done something. And I'm like, well, we need to change the format. Now, I'll never forget this because we had affiliate networks at the time. And I'll talk about it now because it's no big deal. Doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter now. <laughs> because we used to send the affiliates to shows. And then the shows would be in segments where they would sell their own advertising. So I said, listen, we're going to do this new format. We're going to take like one quick break at the top of the hour. That's it. And Paul's like, what are you going to do with all the affiliates? I'm like, send them a show from a year ago. They'll never know. <laughs> He's like, what do you mean they'll never know? I'm like, yeah, they'll never know. I mean, I, I, the program director's not listening to what we send them. Trust me. And sure enough, Paul didn't believe me. We did this for months. We did it for a long Maybe time. Maybe a year. Where we, we were literally sending our affiliates that were playing shows in their local markets, year-old shows, because we were broadcasting a completely different show live every week, but the show became better. So we just learned that not having all these monotonous breaks made for better programming. Yeah. And then we switched up, and that's kind of one of the reasons why we left terrestrial radio and stopped chasing that that. It was, it was a cool experience, you know, for, for me, especially when we started, we had gained the Long Atlanta, Island station, Tampa, Tampa, Long Island. Yeah. So it was it was cool to, to tell people in my hometown. Yeah, I'm, I left. I was I got off the radio on Long Island. And now we're back. We're back on the air now up on Long Island. So it was it was fun. But I, I honestly feel that the, the reach was always on social media, on YouTube, on iTunes, on Spotify, where we are now. I mean, that's that's where people see us at their li at their leisure sometimes yeah. as well. I mean, that's just what I noticed because, you know, you get sold this idea in your head. Oh, you got to become a syndicated show. Right. Right. You got to be in 20 cities. It wasn't necessary. And we learned that the hard way because that was a lot of effort. We put a lot of work talking to program directors in different cities. And it's, it's one of the reasons why we'll see – how many people out there have been following us for how long? But the show was originally Kiss My Ash Radio. Right. 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 That's what KMA stands for. If you don't know that, you haven't been watching the show long enough. But it was originally Kiss My Ash Radio. And as we were trying to hit different markets, the program directors had a problem with the name. So the one of the largest broadcasting companies in the country now is Salem. And uh, we had struck a deal potentially with a group of Salem stations. Uh, eventually it was supposed to grow to be in another, I think, five markets. Um, yeah. But they were very honest with us. They said uh, the connotation of Kiss My Ash is not uh, family-friendly enough. The show is fine. We don't have a problem with the content. 
Uh, nothing with the tobacco is well, a problem did, for us. Well, we had a segment. Well, right? one of those segments. We had a segment at one point. It was very popular. Are you smarter than a stripper? But that was it. That was <laughs> Which didn't go over well with them either. We cut that out when we did it. We but, cut it out. But we, we had sat together, and I said to Abe, I think it's time to kind of do a little rebrand. And, and Abe being the graphic designer in his heart that he is, you know, a lot of people don't know that that's, that's kind of how Abe started as a graphic designer, had a graphic design company. And he, uh, he said, you know what? It's about time for a rebrand anyway. So we called it KMA Talk Radio. Everybody knows what it means still, and it still stands for the same thing that it did, but it, it made it more palatable to a, to a wider market of people. That's how it came about. Yeah. yeah. And then we even rebranded that a couple of years ago with the new Blue the Wave. The new logo. The yep. Blue Wave logo. And Am I the only one with the Blue Wave? Yeah, You're you the are. The only one with the Blue Wave. Yeah, we called it the Blue Wave. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's just a progression. And look, even our smoking logo. There's our 25th anniversary of that company. Right. It's evolved, I think, three times, four times over the 25 years. It's, it's just kept growing and changing and tweaking. And it, you don't think about it because I remember when we went from the original logo that we had in 1996, which was the elongated oval cigar, which was very bad. For that was me. where the O was the smoke or something. And the, the O was yeah. the ring on a cigar. Yes, and the yes. words were in the cigar. And it was very bad for embroidery. It was very bad to put on hats and stuff. And I remember when we first went to the logo that we use now, which is on my sleeve. And even With this the one, S is the smoke. And this is an earlier generation because we've added the big tobacco leaf behind it now. But it took me a couple of years to let go of that old logo. I, mean, I, the bet. Transition. I bet. I mean, we did like one thing and one thing. And it took like maybe over two years before everything finally was with the new logo because it's, it's hard to let go of the an image that you've been using for so long. You but know? you, I, maybe you won't like this analogy, but it, it's kind of like Walt Disney, right? He always said, nothing will ever be finished. Disneyland, Disney World, they it's will true. never be finished. I, yeah. We're constantly evolving. We're constantly changing because when you don't Paul change. You bring Disney in. Yeah, always. <laughs> but when you when you don't change and grow with the times, I mean, we, you, the, the Newmans were just talking about it here, how, how this place has evolved, how the company has evolved, changed with the times, when you when you do that, that's how you grow, how you expand, how you how you build a lasting relationship in a business with your consumers, with with your vendors. We, we've constantly changed, whether it's been in the retail stores, the business, or even just KMA Talk Radio. It drives us nuts sometimes. Like Abe will come in one day and be like, "By the way, we're not doing this anymore. We're switching it to this, and uh, we're changing all the intros. Uh, you're gonna have to switch the or the order of this." You know, and all of us are like, uh, "Oh." Okay, so how how long do we have for this? Like three weeks? Or he goes, no, t tomorrow, Saturday. We're, we're going to do it for then. <laughs> I am guilty oh, of great. that. But you know, whether it's the business or the show, we constantly look for ways to make it better. When we got shut down during the pandemic, right? We were, I think, we were scheduled to have actually Tanya Borschwitz on the show. Yep. I think Tanya Borschwitz was supposed to come on the show, and she was going to drive up from Orlando, mm -hmm. come to the studio. And then that week, they said, yeah, you can't use our studios anymore. Like, literally. We just and, in fact, we wanted to get our, our stuff. And they said, you can arrange for a time for, it to, for us to bring it outside. Clear Channel would not allow yeah. any outsiders into wow. the building. Yeah, we had our equipment in the building. They wouldn't let us go and get it our was equipment. A, it was just a rule they had that no outside people other than employees could be in the building. So, so. when that happened, I, I think we went like four or six weeks with no show. Four weeks. Yeah, four weeks. We didn't have a show. Because we didn't know how to do a podcast, not we, not that way. I no, mean, the, the I mean, system we, were, we had. We were was broadcasting from in a in a radio studio. Right. We didn't know how to do it, so we literally spent the next four weeks running around trying to figure out 
how to set it up. Yeah, and, we weren't hanging out. It was constant back and forth yeah, trying like, to find. Yeah, how do we do this and, we, and whatnot. But even when we started doing the, I mean, if you look at, I think the first guy we may have came back with, I think it was Rocky. It was Rocky. Yeah. So even if you look at that podcast and, and how raw it was compared to where we are today. Thank God the content saved that one, though. I, I think Coop, even today, he'll, he'll say, tell you he said it's one of, the, one of his favorite episodes of, of KMA. Well, because we were both real honest about the situation. Yeah, because we, we were, you know what, there's something discussion. about being at, at home or in a, in a comfortable place. You're not in like that studio setting right. that I think relaxes people when they're on the air. So they might, you know, open up a little bit more sometimes. So it was a, it was a good show, but we had to evolve that. We've evolved since the since March of last year, or whatever it was that we started. What four times now? We've we've. I changed. think I said a month ago, maybe two months ago. I love where we're at now in the show. The production quality, the look, the feel, the in, uh, intros, the outros, the takes, and but we don't stop. Like we'll still say eh, we need a fade in after that segment. So right. that, little that's things, little yeah, things. it never stops evolving, and I, yeah. and that's why I think that our audience keeps on growing because. We don't stop trying to make the show better and better and do fun things and have historical moments like being here at the J.C. Newman factory with probably two of the, you know, without a doubt, a legacy family in this business and two of the most historical people in the industry. So once again, thank you very much, both you, Eric and Bobby, for having us here today. It's our Um, our pleasure. Are you kidding? I'm going to break into a a special segment uh, we call As the Record Spins. Uh, it's sponsored by Avo Cigars, and um, our good friend Eddie Guerra at Avo Cigars has a very special question for you. Um, and so we're going to break in this segment right now as, as the record spins. So here we are with Ez Record Spins by Avo Cigars. And the question, I, you, each of you could take a turn answering um, by our good friend Eddie Guerra is, what industry do you see the closest to being to the cigar industry? If you had to look at all the other industries out there, oh, is there one that you look at and you say this is very similar to the industry? Abs- that we're in? I do, absolutely, is, is the the wine and spirits business. That's what I was going to say. They complement each other. There's tremendous crossover, uh, tremendous heartbeat, uh, heartbreak too when you have a bad crop or you know, everyone knows about the angel share. Um, and it, it's it's ironic. There have been winners and losers. This, this pandemic has been a disaster for the world, but there have been winners and losers. And, and the winners, and everyone knows it, the, the, the spirits, people are staying home longer or are staying home and they're consuming uh, whiskeys, uh, wines, and premium cigars, handmade cigars. How about you, Eric? I like the wine, too. You know, today, looking at our in, in, in industry, why are cigars made in Cuba, Dominican Republic, Honduras, Nicaragua? That's where the tobacco is grown. The cigar factories have traditionally grown around where the factories are. Uh, after the Cuban embargo, a lot of tobacco growers went to the Dominican Republic, started growing tobacco, then the factories uh, came up, were, were built then in Honduras, N- Nicaragua too. The tobacco came, of course, the seeds and the and were, were, were Cuban origin originally. The climate, the soil was similar to Cuba. Then the factories opened up similar 
where the grapes are grown in Napa Valley and Sonoma. That's where some of the best wine is grown in, up in Napa Valley, I mean, where the best wine is made. And the other industry I would think would be craft beer. There's, in the industry, there's so many craft breweries mm. all around everywhere. And it reminds me of boutique cigar manufacturers. I've always, you know, it's in your business, you must get a lot of boutique cigar manufacturers want to sell you cigars. Every day. And unknown names, you never heard of them. Every day. And the same thing like craft beer. There must be thousands of craft beers in this country. I marvel, how does a craft beer get known? How do you get the first base? There's, there's so much competition. And I think whether it's craft boutique cigar manufacturers or craft beers, I think they both uh, have opportunities and also have challenges because they're going against the mainstream. But I mean, I grew up when Budweiser was the king of beers. Yeah, right. <laughs> no more. Then you got the craft beers is where it's at. And well, they've acquired some craft companies that's too. Right. I mean, they exactly. want a piece of the action. You've right. got a couple right here too, right? There's there's a few breweries, the Cigar here City I, Breweries here. I've I've visited there several times. Right. The, really, you're right. There, especially in Florida, they seem to still be popping up quite a bit. Florida's the, the, the a very breweries. strong craft beer. Yeah. Market. You know what I find interesting and kind of amazing if you look at it. Um, you are legitimately, and I'm going to use the word legitimately, because a lot of people will claim it, but it's really legitimate. Um, you're the really only company I could really think of that is every aspect of the business, right? So you have your machine-made mass market. You have your premium, you know, long filler brands. And then technically with the American, you're a boutique you have a right. boutique brand as well. I mean, it's kind of the whole spectrum right. of right. what's available in the cigar industry from mass market machine made to boutique and all that's in between. I mean, did you ever think that's how this company would evolve? It really, no. <laughs> not, not at all. It, it, you know, it's funny. We, we have cigars, uh, stars that are made downstairs to tell you about it in a minute, all the way up to Diamond Crown. We have partners with Wente family for. 35 years now, which has been a, a, a great a great ride. But you know, we sell cigars. You know, Diamond Crown sells super premium cigar from 12 to $20. We have cigars downstairs below that we make these hand-operated machines. Dad died in, 19, in 2006. Before he died, he said, I want to make a brand of, I want to make some inex, inexpensive, cheap bundle of cigars that sell everywhere. I said, fine, Dad. He's 90 years old. That's his project. And I want to name it. Well, Dad, it's your project. You can name it whatever you want. I want to call it Factory Throwouts. I said, Dad, that is the most god-awful name for a scar. Nobody's ever going to buy a scar called Factory Throwouts, but I want to name it. Okay, Dad. Long story short, Abe, there's only two cigars in this world. Those that sell and those that don't. We sell, we make and sell about $12 million a year. So Dad was right. Lousy, lousy name. But it, but it, but it works. So, all, so that's our. I'm not as, as proud of that because I'm, I'm, I'm proud because that was Dad's idea. I'd much rather give a handmade cigar, a Brickhouse, Diamond Crown, El Baton, Pearl Del Mar, or a, uh, you know, Diamond Crown all the way to, 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 to the top, or even a Quorum Bundle. Why we sell a lot of bundles of cigars here? It makes me more proud to give you an American, a Diamond Crown. But we, if a guy wants to spend anywhere from $2 a cigar to $20, we have it covered. So it's kind of evolved over time. Now, I think something that maybe even a lot of people in our audience or our viewership won't realize is 
it, it really wasn't until recently that you became a company that started producing your own cigars. You acquired your first factory not that long ago. I tell you, old, you know Lou 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 Rothman. Yeah. Okay, Lou Rothman. They had next. They had you. You actually bought one of his old fact. One of their factories. We had one of his old brands. You know, every there was a big smoke in New York on during Thanksgiving week, and every every time we go there, we always visit Lou, my father, brother, and me, and everybody does. He was the number one retailer in the country. Everybody wants to pay homage to Lou Rothman, sell more cigars. We go there back in 2001, 2002, he says, how about buying cigars from me? And we're here to sell them cigars. No, Lou, we want to sell you cigars. We don't buy cigars. No, I have a factory in Esteli. I'll sell you cigars, good cigars at a low price. So, okay, we'll, we'll try. I can't say no to Lou. He's a good customer. And he sent us these cigars. Okay, we got the cigars. They're, they're good cigars. You have to come up with a brand. Back in those days, we, you have to, you have, there were, everything was trademark. You have a trademark registry that was published twice a year. So we came up with some different names. Every name was taken. You have to have a name for every time. It's you came, so came, hard right? that people don't realize coming up with a name today that's available is, is a task. It, it is. And so one day we, I saw uh, on the billboard, uh, sign called, you know, Quorum. It's a great name for a cigar. It's told Bobby, let's try Quorum. Son of a bitch, he looked it up and it's taken. So Bob, Bobby, <laughs> Bobby was talking to Lou one day and said, you know, we like the cigars, take them with the name. He said, Bobby said, for instance, we had this brand named Quorum we wanted to use. It was taken. Lou says, who do you think owns that brand? Uh, Bobby says, hell if I know. <laughs> he says, I do. I'll sell. He sold to us for like a dollar a year for five years. As long as we promised to buy the cigar in his factory, well, it became a great selling bundle. Enormous selling bundle. It's probably one of the top selling bundles in the country. It is. It's now it's the largest, but it got to be too big of our business. We got concerned because we lost. It was too big of our business, and our competitors didn't own factories too. And we were afraid they might that lose. Lou might sell to another company, and they either would not make cigars for us or raise our prices so much that we'd be out of out of business. So we, in 2011, we, we built our own factory, uh, J.C. Newman Penza. And at that time, also making a cigar called Brickhouse. Another person was making for us who had some financial issues and he couldn't supply enough and then he didn't pay his bills. And so we said, we're going to make Brickhouse in our factory too. So right now we're making 100,000 cigars a day in Esteli. I never dreamed Right. That we'd be making handmade cigars. like that. After all this time, in 2011, you decided to finally start. And, and Perla de Mar is made out of Perla de Mar is yeah. made there, too. But it's kind of interesting. Grandpa J.C., our grandfather, started just like what Lewis was doing, making cigars by hand back in 1895. Then my grandfather was one of the big pioneers in bringing cigar machines to this country, and he's still making the same, same machines. We went basically from a handmade factory to making cigars on machines, hand-operated cigar machines, and here we are 125 years later making cigars by hand again. It's like full <laughs> sister circle. Right. How did this happen? But here we are. And what a coincidence. We've never heard that story before that Lou Rothman owned the name that somebody was right, trying to get. Right, right. <laughs> it's happens, it happens so many Every, times, you have no idea. So many manufacturers come in and, and they say oh they God. say the same thing. They're like, you know, Lou owns that name. And Abe's like, yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. I, I, I've been blessed <laughs> enough to have become good friends with Lou. He actually lives down in South Florida six months a year. And he's been on the show multiple times. And in fact, you know, he's due to come on again. Yeah, he's due to come on again. But, you know... One of the sharpest 
innovative. You know, he's one of the guys I constantly looked at, whether it was Midnight Mania. He used to open a store at midnight for a special sale for <laughs> yeah. two hours. Or, or I mean, buy your, your weight. You get your weight in books for yeah, you buy I mean, cigars. Everything. I just, <laughs> he's, he, I cannot keep quiet enough when I'm in his presence just to listen to maybe one, the two, stories. three, four nuggets of knowledge I could pick up with him at any given moment. And, um, yeah, that, that that scenario we've heard more than often uh, where he had a mark. Or but, you know, starting in this industry at the age of 26, the, the, from other retailers, my peers, mm-hmm. all I ever heard was a lot of negativity about a guy like Lou Rothman because, you know, all the, you know he built something so big it affected him negatively. I just always admired him. And, you know, and, you know, I looked at somebody like that as somebody you could learn from. But there's one thing across the board, because if you, if you listen to that story where he just gave you the mark, as long as you let him produce it, he's, I've never heard where he hasn't been one of the most fairest persons oh, he's, ever. He's one of the most, if you talk to a retailer, you'd think like they were talking about Satan. You know, if you ask another retailer about Lou Rothman, oh, but... Anybody I've ever known who's dealt with him, he says, like one, really one of the most fairest human beings he, I've ever met. He, fairest, humble. Quick, thirty-second story. I know time is short, but uh, we, we launched the Quorum Bundle, and today, is, Eric, is it one out of every eight Nicaraguan cigars yeah. are Quorum, oh. and which is amazing. Yeah. And, wow! Uh, it's it's sold in eighty-two countries outside the United States. Um, I just want to reiterate that eighty-two countries. That's a lot of countries. It is, and, and we're all. It, it, that's uh, we're blessed to be, and we've been up and down. We're blessed to be in this business to, to certainly, uh, to certainly say that. Abe, when did you start in the business? I, I I officially kind of got into cigars. Let's see, I moved here in '98. Um, well, '95, I went to the first trade show in Orlando. We were, we talked about this last night at the Marriott when they had the two different halls and you had to cross in the middle of the hallway to go to to the show floor. Um, and it's crazy because I remember Sal, who I knew back in 95, ended up a couple of years later, would walk me to companies like Ashton who wouldn't open you as an account. You had to get all their cutters. Yes. And accessories. They literally said, well, you know, start out buying our leather cases and, uh, and maybe we'll sell you cigars. I mean, it was a crazy time back then. <laughs> I mean, literally. Um, but I, I kind of got into cigars in '95, and kind of started um, making custom labels in '96, and kind of started distributing cigars in Chicago in '96. I, I actually started by servicing country clubs. I would put a humidor any, anywhere they'd let me put it. Right. I would fill it up, give them the cigars for free, and then come once a month and do inventory. And whatever they sold, I let them keep fifteen percent, and I take the rest. Right. And it was it was that's how I kind of got into cigars and. I came down here on vacation in 98 because I wanted, I was in a position where I was going to either continue the family business and the grocery business. So I came down here as a break to think about it and I never went home. Mm-hmm. My friend who here, who had a smoke in, convinced me to stay here and become his partner. And that's, we talked about Went for vacation, day. never went home. Right. Went for vacation, <laughs> never went home. Kudos, kudos to you, Abe, because you came in the top of the cigar boom. And I know why people didn't want to sell you because the product was so short. Short, and we had it. They aren't going to sell a new guy. They can't take care of their regular customer. But what happened, a lot of new people came in the business. They thought it was easy money because it was. Every athlete had cigars. Their movie stars had cigars. Their cigars were, you know, were sexy. It was the end thing. And then 
the cigar boom cooled, and most people that came in, most cigar factories that came in uh, during the cigar boom, most retailers disappeared. Came, That's what we were saying last night. Right. Right. Survivor, when the fat when the boom came in, 100 factories opened up overnight in Honduras, Dominican Republic, and Nicaragua. About 95 of them closed. But there's some people that, that made it. There are a few brands today that came at that time. There are solid brands to, uh, today. A few retailers came in, but most of them exited. But kudos to you, Abe, for having the perseverance to make it. I'll tell you a funny story. We talked about this last night. So not only did I make the move to get in the cigar industry and retail, probably the worst time ever, 25 years later, we've gotten to the point where we, we can't fulfill our, our national business through our business. So we open up our warehouse. We were building a warehouse. And once again, I couldn't pick a worse time in three decades and say, hey, let's open up a warehouse because nobody has product to ship. Right. We've been getting these invoices every week. And it's like if our, our opening warehouse order is 50% or 60% fulfilled, it's a win. Right, right. I mean, we got some companies who just basically said, yeah, we can't ship you the warehouse order. It's too big. <laughs> because it's either make us happy or make... 60 other customers happy and you know it's it's tough i mean so not only did i get into retail probably at the worst time we're we're building a warehouse literally at the worst time so but we'll get through it we did we did it then we'll do it again now it's funny though going going back to lou rothman you know when we first got the building we were like oh my god what, what are we going to do with all this space six thousand square feet or whatever what are we going to do with it we, we took six thousand square feet of an eighteen thousand right. square foot space lou came by to visit we, you had a conversation with Lou. Lou just being blunt. Ah, it's too small. It's too small. Oh, yeah. Uh, he made me feel terrible. Right. I literally walked out like, oh, my God, I made a mistake. Right. You went back and tried to get the other 12,000 square feet. He convinced me it wasn't. He said, why don't you have the whole building? Well, because it's too small. So, so to put things in perspective, our space is roughly six or 8,000 square feet. And, and JR Cigars is about 280,000 square feet. Right. So, you know, so this was about as big as one of the closets to, at the JR. Talk, right. When you talk to Lou Rothman, you have to understand there's a scale of perception that doesn't relate. You know, <laughs> right. you know one time I called him up and I asked him, hey, Lou, I, I want some bulk cigars because I, I wasn't big enough or experienced enough in the business to learn how to buy a bulk. So, you know, he helped me out. He's like, well, what do you mean? Said, Don't send me a lot. Just send me a little. You know, I just want to get started and start making some samplers for my online and he sent me pallets. It like took me a year to pay him back. I mean, like, and he thought that was nothing. So there's a scale of relation. But after talking to him, I got like a little depressed. I'm like, oh my god, I, I got too small of a space. So I literally <laughs> went to the landlord to see if the other twelve thousand square feet was still available, and it was gone. So but, now you know. Once it becomes available, just take it. <laughs> listen, we're, we've always look in, in perspective. Out of the space we've been working out of for the last two years, Absolutely. this is like eight, nine, ten Absolutely. times bigger. We'll be all right for a while, but. Um, yeah, talking to Lou sometimes is dangerous because he changes your, your perspectives on, on things. Um, so let's talk about this cigar because this is obviously a, 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 a now very, um, I think the word, it's a very symbolic cigar for you guys. I mean, it's, it's, it's a very boutique brand. The production on this is very limited. I mean, it's not out there a lot. How many, how many cigars are being produced a day of this brand? Lewis, how many are you making today? <laughs> <laughs> About three, three, 300 a day. I mean, that's, that's really nothing. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's really nothing in the scheme of things. You know I mean? I mean, it's a lot. It's, I mean, I just want our consumers to realize all the work and the packaging and the production. And it's 300 cigars a day. This, this brand isn't to make money. 
no, we didn't have what's it's not a money making brand. If we didn't have what's <laughs> downstairs right. or in Nicaragua or, or the Dominican Republic, we wouldn't be d- doing doing this. Right, that kind right. of drives our bus here. But Drew had the, the, the vision, said, "Not today, not tomorrow. This is going to really make this uh, make this go." And also, we're battling FDA. We've been at it for like ten years now, and they're looking at maybe giving some relief to premium scars that are handmade, not to our scars downstairs. We're fighting them on that too, but giving, making handmade cigars in this factory, bring handmade cigars here to show FDA we are a legitimate handmade cigar factory. So what FDA is talking about now is to penalizing the cigars we make on the second floor but giving relief to, to this, this floor. So we're trying to, try, trying to establish ourselves as a handmade premium cigar factory up and down. And we're using you know these cigars here, these super premium cigars, these American, to help convince FDA that we are a crew blue premium cigar factory. And you guys are. Thank you so much. Amen to that. Um, you can call. Oh, please. Go we got an audience here. Go ahead, yeah. Give them five. Give them applause. Make some noise. I, I love that live audience feel. When we first started, when we first built our headquarters in Boynton Beach, we actually wanted it to be a live show like this. And we did it for a couple of years every week in front of a live audience, but doing the remote posed to be a lot of technical yeah. issues. So we but we up, are going to bring back KMA late night. That's, yeah, that's we're official. Play with that. we're that's official. KMA late so night. So we'll have an audience as well. We yeah. don't know where it'll be. I but... think we'll do it in the warehouse. Okay, we, we can do, do that in the too. Break room. It's very doable. In the break room? In the break room. We could put a backdrop through a table. Yeah, in. Or we could just come back here. I mean, you know. Oh, yeah, we can come back to Tampa. There you go. So is it, well, we got our listeners and people all over the country and the world watching. Is there new projects or new stuff you want to share with anybody that you guys are working on? Absolutely. Oh, there you go. Oh, so you came prepared. Frollo Domar, one of Grandpa JC's old brands, and it, we don't know why it was taken off the market, but we brought it back, uh, what, about Eric, eight years ago-ish, and uh, it had, it was very, we thought, we'd never been in the box press business, hard, solid box press business, Let's come out of the line of Pearl of the Mar means Pearl of the Sea. Uh, and the original label was the Havana Harbor, and which is, this is what it looks like. And uh, it did okay, but the, we, we, people didn't like this. We had a very, very hard press. This is called, we call this, a, yeah, please take them. No, it's, it's, it's like a, like a t- yeah, oh, oh, okay. Tampa press. And, um, so we redid the packaging, and we're a 126-year-old company. We've never used the Corojo wrapper. So the Oliva Tobacco Company, uh, who grew this, to, this wrapper, uh, we've been talking to them for several years about it, came out of the line. We have Pearl de Mar. That's the Pearl de Mar. The, the natural is a Connecticut seed grown in Ecuador. We have a Maduro, Connecticut broadleaf, and then the, the Corojo. And by the luck of the draw, Cigar Aficionado fell in love with this cigar and gave us tremendous ratings, and the reviews were wonderful, and now we're terribly oversold. Well, that's a good problem to have. And the Oliva Tobacco Company is here as well, right? They're they're in the Tampa area? They started in 1934, and we've been doing business with them since this. Grandpa JC did business with uh, Angel Angel Oliva, starting in 1934. Wow. We had him on the show for the first time I was going to say, year. great, great, great episode. Their yeah. cigar, Don Lydia, ended up coming in, and we didn't even know about it. They've been out for like five years. We had him on the show. Like, I never even heard of the cigar. We bought it in. It, our consumer base has been enjoying and loving it, Don Lydia. In fact, I actually saw it in your cases downstairs. Right. 
you guys have it in, in your little display cases downstairs. So great stuff. Um, right now we have a very uh, special video that we're gonna we're gonna run first, and then we have a little surprise thing. Are, are they coming on after the video? Uh, the video, then our uh, friend that's visiting us here, and then they're coming. Okay, because I want to make sure we got, we got a lot of surprises coming up. But um, ten years has been a long time, a lot of memories. Um, unfortunately, there weren't a lot of photos in the last two years because we, we didn't we were going nowhere the last two years. <laughs> but um, there's a lot of great, great memories. And we have a little video just kind of to remember all the times in the past 10 years. So let's cue that up and share that with our, our audience. Honest Abe here in the heart of Tampa at the J.C. Newman El Relo factory. We are celebrating 10 years of KMA Talk Radio. Here are some great moments and memories.
music. The Scoop with Coop. Breaking industry news. Hear it first on KMA Talk Radio and cigar-coop.com. Posada Factory, and there's another one called uh, Ferriotego Generoso, and that's coming out of the Placencia Factory. And those are two factories that uh, they've worked with over the years under the Nat Sherman International brand. So they're kind of continuing the relationship with Ferriotego right now. I, I was surprised because that press release kind of threw me at the curve. Oh, they're ready to go. And then we went to go call, you know, Davidoff, who was distributing them, and they're not selling them yet. So it threw <laughs> us off. Like, okay, great news story, but yeah, yeah, they're um, not being sold yet. Okay, right. let us know when that's happening. Yeah, and they're limited. They're gonna be limited production releases, so they're gonna precede the relaunch of the brands formerly known as Nat Sherman, uh, Timeless, Apoca. But these limiteds are gonna be coming out, um, and they're gonna be annual limiteds, from uh, what we've understood. And uh, smaller production this year, a little more production next year. Um, they're going to have a price point of $21, um, $210 for a 10-count box of each of those. Uh, the boxes could be used as humidors. So uh, they're a nice keepsake thing as well. Oh, so it's going to be sewer premium. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yep. What else you got going on? Anything else? Um, the other thing just to note, and I think people heard, uh, unfortunately, COVID has taken another event down. So Espinosa's La Zona Palooza event has been iced for this year, and uh, they are going to be going virtual for uh, 2021 for the second year in a row. He was supposed to tell me. He I, really was. I he had was a conversation here. with him a month ago where he was contemplating this, and I, I literally said, let me know when you decide. I guess he didn't let me know. I guess yeah, this is the first <laughs> I've heard. Yeah. Hear it here. I had yeah, to hear it here. Actually, it was on Coop earlier Coop this week. With the scoop. I'll be calling you after the show, Eric. <laughs> So, uh, I mean, I've been to the event, and, and that's a very tight event, unfortunately, indoors. So they, they had a tough decision with that one, I think. Some of these other events that aren't canceled, they're outdoors, it's a little different. But this one's tougher to do. We, we, we were posed with the same problem with the Great Smoke. Obviously, we, we, we didn't decide to have it in its normal format in, in, 20, in earlier this year, um, in 2021. And... Um, Amazingly and miraculously, we pulled off probably one of the greatest virtual events this industry may will ever see. Um, it was unbelievable. Like I, I've said before, had I known what we were going to entail doing, I would have had a documentary done. I would have people following us around for three months. But it ended up being an incredible event. And um, when Eric had talked to me about this about a month ago, we I literally bought Alex and the team in the office trying to figure out what we're going to do for 2022. And um, we called a bunch of people to try and get, get the feel of it because, like, in South Florida, we kind of don't live like the rest of the world. Yeah, we live in a bubble. So, sure. But we do realize that people are coming from all over the country for our event every year. And we called the fairgrounds just to see what their opinion was. And they're like, oh, no, we're, we're, we're doing everything. We're already working on Fright Nights for Halloween. And, yeah, we have no issue. No, we have no plans of canceling anything. They're doing the fair and whatnot. And then we talked to our event planner. And we talked to some of our patrons out there, and um, uh, we're, we're just going to go full-fledged forward with our event in February. We have no – there's nothing on our table that says we won't have our event in February we play, unless we get shut down by some government agency where we have no choice. But because this year we're doing it for the first time ever in a double format, 
where it's going to be live and virtual for people who can't be there. We figure those who want to come will be able to come. Those who want to stay home can still participate virtually. And I think we made like December the drop down date where if something happens. It's, yeah, December is it. Yeah, like mid December, we can right. make the pivot to go full virtual if we have to, but it's not on our plans. But it's, it's, it's difficult because it we didn't think in a million years we'd be looking at maybe not having it right, this right. year in 2022. So um, at this point, our plan is to, you, you, have, you heard it here first, and there with you, you Coop. Our plan is going full forward with the Great Smoke in 2022. Right. And what is the date? February what? 26th. February 26th. That is the main event day, and it will be live and virtual, the last luau, Hawaiian-themed. Uh, and we have a lot of very exciting things planned on it. So we're really hoping that the Hawaiian luau theme was supposed to be last year. It was. This it was. year, earlier this year, which went digital. And we, we put a lot of things off, so we actually had a lot of time to come up with some good ideas. So we really hope to be able to pull it off this yeah, year. Yeah, I, I mean, I hope it goes through. We literally came up with like, like we had the Hawaiian idea prior to it was supposed to be the year before. We, we actually decided at the end of 2020 when we did the 70s disco right. theme. But then even we, we weren't even done. Like we were in the back uh, one night producing going over the 2021 show, the virtual show, and literally we just wound up spending like an hour, like midnight on a Saturday coming up with things for the next show, even though we hadn't even pulled off. We, we designed the logo. We designed the logo. Part of the closing of the, yeah. The name, right, right. Yeah. There's a joke in our, in our, in our business, that the magic elves make it happen. They don't realize how far in advance <laughs> we put work in, into oh, yeah. an event like that. Um, anything else going on? Oh, that was it. Those are the two big stories. Quiet week. week? Quiet week, yes. Quiet week. So, well, thanks for uh, the contribution and the update on the news. Always a pleasure. More information, please visit uh, cigar-coop.com. Absolutely. Anything you got coming up this week that people can look forward to? Actually, it's, we have a milestone this week. Um, you got up. a milestone too? Yep. Uh, our 200th episode of Primetime. Wow. It's on Thursday. Uh, special Coop. guest will be the CEO of Oliva Cigars, Corey Bapper. So... Prime time, you you do a lot of shows. I mean, right. you're literally like the Rocky Patel of cigar media. I mean, I mean, like you're everywhere. <laughs> What's the prime time? Is, is that just the nightly show? Because you got jukebox and you got that, a couple. That's the mothership show. That's the weekly show okay. um, that started it all. So we launched that back in 2017, and then we have special edition, which is twice a month, and then jukebox, which is kind of uh, the music show. Very nice. So you can get it all there at cigar hyphen coop. Dot com. Do we have everybody on? You're ready to go. Okay, so over the years we had a lot of characters. You saw them a lot of them in the video. And of course, it wouldn't be a 10th anniversary show unless we can get some of them to join us today. Um, and uh, let's see if we can get them on. Here we go. I think we got Lady M, Adam the Brewmeister Cucci, and our former producer, John Barron here. Hey, guys. On camera. There, they, there, there they are. What's up? What's up? <laughs> Holy cow. There it is. Look at this. Adam with the bangs down to his ears. Look at that. Oh, yeah. Holy cow. <laughs> this is so This is what happens when you don't get a haircut in eight, five months. Oh, wow. <laughs> Wait, you're, he, oh, I guess he, he won't go anywhere else but his place in Del Rey. He can't. Uh, Has, that's right. Are you that's refusing right. to get a haircut because your barber is uh, in Del Rey Beach? Originally, that was, the, that was the plan. But then now I'm just fighting with myself to see how long I want to go. Okay, this will be interesting. You, start, you look good. You're starting to Thanks, look. If, 
if you grow a beard, you're starting to look like the dude from The Big Lebowski. You just made all his dreams come true. Absolutely. That's all he ever wanted. Somebody get me a white Russian. <laughs> now look at Johnny with the full beard. I trimmed it a little bit, actually. So is that? A I heard beard? it was coming on. Is that a um, beard? I guess so. Yeah, I cut my own hair now, so <laughs> I cut my own hair. Okay, well, I've been to the barber in a while. <laughs> so, John, you were literally the first producer we ever hired on yeah. KMA Talk Radio. Tell us a little bit about that experience. I, it was a lot of fun. It was wild, though. I volunteered to do a lot of stuff that I, in hindsight, maybe I shouldn't have done. I think oh, the, no. the, the, the well, the, well, that was that was mild compared to being punched in the stomach by like a, a lightweight boxer champion. Or can you tell, John, did you ex- did you expect what? it to be as bad as it was, John? Like, did you go into it thinking I can handle this? I'll be fine. I knew it was going to be an issue. I just didn't know he was going to wind up like he did. He's he's twenty. He's twenty four and one with you know he's twenty five and one with twenty four knockouts. And my goal with that was just okay. Just don't go down to your knee or anything like that. But man, it was he let loose. I didn't think he was going to hit me that hard, but it was uh, it was pretty spooky. No, he didn't hold back at all. And I remember watching it, saying I would have <laughs> shit in my pants <laughs> if I got hit like that. He would have knocked the crap literally out of me. Um, that was just me. Yeah, it was. It was. It was a little rough. And oh, to your defense, I was like, you know, you you, you kind of were into the segment. I mean, you were kind of enjoying it a little bit. It was Wasn't very, it his idea? Yeah, yeah. It was. It was very yeah. odd. And then I, I got him on. Up, I, I started coming up with crazy stuff, like I was going to have you like grab some meat, raw meat out of a piranha fishbowl. And Lady Emily said, "I will not do the show if you make him do that." Like, right, she literally yeah, came to your that. defense. A Good for you, Em. <laughs> I did. did. I did that for John. <laughs> I think that what it was, some of the other ones were like, uh, oh, you know what one of my more favorite ones was? was We used to do it with Jason from, um, um, was it the Spearmint Rhino? Uh, Are you smarter than a stripper? Which I don't think you could really get away with today anymore. Probably not. There's probably a few we things used to do that over the too. years you can't get away with anymore. But yeah, they used to bring a stripper in at 10 in the morning. So, which which would change? I would get texts the whole night before and the whole morning before that. Uh, wait, it's somebody else now. Wait, hold on, there's a different girl. Well, the, trick, the trick was the manager had to take one of the strippers after they closed at five a.m. and take her out to breakfast and keep her keep awake. her awake, right? And right. not let her go home to make her come in at ten in the morning on a Saturday. But we also, when we continued it, John, after you left, I remember when we had Steve Saka on one time. We gave him oh, like ridiculous, ridiculous, like biology and chemistry questions. And then we would like say to her, and, uh, w- you know, what color is a basketball? And he would get, he got so pissed that show. No, that was a funny <laughs> segment. So, Emily, I remember when we first concocted doing the show and I came to you and I said, look, I, I want you to be part of the show. You did not want to do the show. No, I was nervous. One of those things, Emily, who has no problem talking. Another thing is what we talked about earlier. Got her in front of a mic, froze up. Yeah. And so what was our solution to handle your nerves during the morning show? It was the Lady M cocktail. (laughs) We made her drink on Saturday morning. That was our solution. We had to loosen her up. And so we had the Lady M signature cocktail weekly that she would start drinking in the morning. Yeah. 
Yep. Yeah, I sure did. And I think it, it was like probably eight weeks into it. We were like, okay, Emily's got to cut out. I think it was like 9 a.m. We'd start those cocktails. <laughs> well, I, it, in tradition, I went ahead and made one. I'm having a lady and margarita today. For nice. you guys. Now, now, lady. Oh, thank you. So, my hero today. Definitely not driving home. Um, so, so <laughs> you now are a mother of two young. You, you have a boy and a girl. How has life been since you left KMA Radio? Isn't that crazy to say? Like, I, I still have to pitch myself sometimes. <laughs> it's like I left KMA Radio and like instantly became like a mom, like a mom. I feel it just kind of happened. All these pieces kind of just shifted into place and, and it's been really amazing. I think I, I've taken on motherhood pretty well and, and I, I won't regret it for one second. Nice. Okay, I got a signal since the broadcast has been interrupted. So. I, I, we're good. Okay, it's, we're good. It's your internet on your phone. All right, good. Yeah. Didn't want to <laughs> get nervous there for a second. Um, yeah, it, it, it's really been amazing. Um, how I mean, I basically we met. I met Emily while she was still in college. I mean, yes. she was playing soccer, and, and now I was like she's nineteen, literally. And now you're a mother. And now she's twenty one. Right, right, right. Right. <laughs> do, do you still get recognized as Lady M anywhere? Um, no, I don't. I I can't say that I have since I've left the show. But you been. You were for a while there. For a little bit, yeah. Um. Yeah, I, I did. I, I actually remember one instance, my dad was at the bar and he had a Kiss My Ash radio hat on and a KMA radio hat on and um, two women went up to him and said, I listened to that show. I love it. Da, da, da. Where'd you get that hat? And he goes, my daughter's Lady M. And it was like my dad's moment of like glory. He was so proud <laughs> in that moment. <laughs> All right. So listen, we're going a little bit longer. Why I got you on? Uh, Share with us your most memorable KMA moment. Uh, I'm going to start with you, Emily. Uh, you go ahead and start. The most memorable KMA moment you had. Oh, gosh. There's a lot of Oh, goodness. Um, there's a lot of them. But I have to say our trip to Washington, D.C. by far was one of the most memorable weekends of KMA Radio. Okay. so I'm And gonna... that's like it. Yeah, that's a that's a loaded answer. There's a lot that goes into that. <laughs> well, so Emily and I did the trip by ourselves, and and, and the, the internet didn't work. We had to do the whole show by cell phone. That um, was Davidoff. That was Davidoff. Which oh, she, which one did you say, Little Puff? Little Puff, yeah. Okay, yeah. is that the trip where you convinced us to have our fourth kid? That that was, <laughs> was the inspiration for us to have one more child. Literally, yeah, that, plane. it was. We were that's, drinking. Yeah. We were That's the one where Bloody she was asleep Mary's. on the uh, she was asleep on the floor of the cab. Yes. That's it. Yes. <laughs> she left yes, out that that's detail. When I, yeah. That's when I inspired you to have your fourth kid. Yes, we were drunk. We got drunk like on Bloody Mary's eight in the morning, and on the plane ride, you convinced me to have a fourth child. I called my wife in in Atlanta during the layover, and she said yes. So yeah, <laughs> Asher needs to grow up and thank you because otherwise he might have not been <laughs> seriously. Um, I'm going, to save, I'm going to share my one of my favorite stories. So we went to, because I confused our trips. We actually took a couple. So we did one to, uh, when we did the Davidoff store, I believe. And it was just her and I. And, and we, we met the mayor of Strawberry Fields before he passed away. Um, the famous guy in, 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 in um, New York Park. City. 
Yep. Yeah. And there was a famous bagel place that my brother said you had to go to. It was literally <laughs> the most delicious bagels, right? So we ordered two bagels each. We're going to try a little bit. And I can't remember what – you spilled coffee on me. I spilled coffee all over you, all over your white shirt. He was I had a white shirt on. I was getting ready to go do the KMA show. She spills this coffee all over me. <laughs> I took one bite of this amazing bagel that I wanted to eat, and she spills coffee on me. Now I got to go change right. before the show. So we can't even eat it. I'm like, save those bagels. <laughs> I'm going to eat those bagels after the show, right? So we go, we change, we go do the show. The, show's, the show ends up being catastrophic because there's no internet. So we literally. We have Hanky Killer there. We're doing the show like this on a cell phone, going yeah. back and forth. Yeah. And um, after the show, I'm like, okay, where are those bagels? I mean, I literally thought about those bagels all show. Right. They're gone. Oh, no. We don't know where these. What do you mean? They're left. Where are they? Can't find the bagels anywhere. No. We don't know. So two weeks later, obviously, so when we were done with the show, we, 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 we packed up the speaker, whatever else we bought. We shipped it back to oh, Florida. Two weeks going. later, we go to start unpacking the stuff that we ship back. And guess oh, what we no. find in the package? Moldy bagels. bagels. My bagels. Bag- bagels and We're in the package that packed up and got shipped back up. I never got to eat Just a little bagels. dry age on them. Yeah, that's all. <laughs> all right, that so uh, Adam, what, what was your favorite? What's your favorite memory? Uh, it's probably when you showed up in a dress at the uh, reception. Were you, at, at the reception, you, when you at my sister-in-law's and, wedding? There's so many times. <laughs> yeah, which one are you talking about? Yeah, which about? dress and which reception? Uh, yeah, well, all of them. Yeah. <laughs> Anytime. Oh, yeah. Or so there's the time that the show. Stripper. He was already off the show. Thanks for reminding me while you were replaced. <laughs> yep. Or, of course, there was the 300th episode where a stripper gave me money. Oh, there Ooh. you go. Yeah. 300 episode. That's that was one Tampa. One. That was 200. 300th episode was in Atlanta at, at uh, Cutters. Oh, that was yeah. 200th yeah, episode. 200. Yeah. That was 200. So wait, hold on. What was the one where we did a four-hour episode where I got so drunk I, I, I passed out in the bathroom? That was the 100th episode. Was that 100? <laughs> Holy cow. That's we had we a very dumb me. idea of doing a four-hour show. Oh, I And it was very bad. Clips. But that was our 400. <laughs> and, and John, John, how about you? What's your most memorable experience from the show? I think the Chicago trip was awesome. Um, yeah. One of my actual favorite ones was, I think it, it, William Shatner was doing some kind of thing at the Kravis Center, and I got him to interview with, with Adam. <clears throat> and I was just, I listened to the interview afterwards, and I was like, Adam did an awesome job with this. It was like really a good interview. That was I think a that was great probably interview my, with William yeah. Shatner. Actually. Yeah, he, Adam he did was an awesome job on that. For sure. Yeah, it, was all, it was awesome. And, and uh, as opposed to mine that I did with Rashad Evans, where one sentence in, I was like, oh, so you went to Michigan State? And he's like, no, I went to Michigan, actually. And I was like, all right. Well, oh, no. I guess I'll just, guess I'll just oh, get no. off the phone. I'll get <laughs> Luckily, it was, pre, it was pre-recorded, so I didn't, I didn't have to air that part. <laughs> now, now, John, since you left, you have a little family of your own now. Yes, I have a daughter. I have, she's uh, two and a half. Aww. That's awesome, man. Nice. Awesome. We're living in a house, which I guess is good. So the so, only person's uh, life who hasn't changed at all is Adam's. <laughs> just the location. Sounds just his bank. Right. Just, just his bank. bank. Just his location. Just, just his location and his bank. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Adam, he's a creature of habit. Yes. He's a creature mm-hmm. of habit. Listen, he's a good guy. routine. Well, I yeah. have all three of you on. Um, we tried to get Brandon the Mick Foster, but he had his tea time and his 
30-year-old retirement, but um, uh, we couldn't get the mic on. Uh, I really want to thank you guys, all three of you, for the time and effort and being part of KMA Talk Radio over 10 years. It was awesome. It's created some of the best memories I've had. And I even appreciate you taking time out of Saturday morning to come on and share stories and awesome stuff with being part of KMA Talk Radio. That was a good time. One one thing, I saw the one picture of Colin in that slideshow was him with his middle finger up. Colin's doing well. I still talk to him, so he's doing good. Colin, listen, Colin we talked to after COVID because we didn't have, obviously, a studio anymore. And we tried to get him back on, but he's doing some new job. And we have a little co-side with him. You were supposed to get in touch with Colin about coming on. Did you forget? Um, There's a lot going on in the last two days. So, Colin... It was Paul, my fault. Colin, I want to let you know, Paul's the reason why you weren't contacted, so please make sure you him. visit him and, and take it out on Paul. I shouldn't have said anything. I I'm, feel mo- bad I'm moving so he doesn't know where I am. <laughs> <laughs> you better move fast. Because I, I, I was going to say, did we say you were going to get in touch with Colin? Stephanie, if you are watching, get out of the house now. <laughs> take the boys and run. <laughs> Guys, actually you safe so bet. Mm-hmm. No, thank you, Abe. We had a lot. I had a lot of fun, so it was it was very enjoyable. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, and I'm happy to see you guys all doing well, and hopefully, uh, yeah, yeah. We'll, see, we'll see you guys, guys soon. Maybe, maybe we have. We a can't show do another hour. What was that? No. no. We can't do another <laughs> hour. She, yeah, she's got she's got a couple drinks going. You got a couple now, drinks in you, Ab? I don't think Adam plans on staying on another hour. So listen, I, I wanted. I, did, I didn't get to it. I almost forgot. I want to share the story about Emily being on the floor cab. So. We were in Washington, D.C. for the little Puffin Drapers, and we had gone out um, to that historic bar that night. And then we went to somebody's house where they, they had... Marvin. DCR. Marvin had gotten... Marvin Samuel from Jewish Gate had a house they was getting because we were doing a lot of lobbying at the time. And we, we've been drinking for a long time. And Emily's like, I- I'm going to go back to the hotel. And I'm like, I- I'll take you back. I said, no, 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 I'm fine. I'm fine. Dogfish, I dogfish, I'm fine. I said, no, let me take you back. She said, no, I don't want you to go back. You're having fun. I said, I'll take you back to the hotel room, and then I'll come back with the guys. Don't worry about it. And she insisted she's fine, but of course, being the gentleman that I am, there's no way I'm going to let her go back home alone. So we get in the cab to go take her back to the hotel room, and the first red light, she slides right off the seat and is lying on the floor oh in the cab. God. I'm like, you look really fine down there. Let me help you up. Got her back to the room. And she went out and had a good night. And then I think I filmed her in the morning. I have oh. this picture. I'm going to dig it up. I know you I said, do. I'm, sure I'm going to dig it up. I'm like, I wonder what, how she is this morning. And there she is, fully clothed, lying on the bed with a slice of pizza with one bite on the pillow. Yes, yes. I've yes. seen this picture. Yes. yes, I have this picture. I'm going to dig it up. Classic story. Thank you so much, guys. I love you all. And um, we'll talk to you guys soon. Thank you for coming on, everyone. Thanks, Thanks for having us on. Thank you, guys. guys. Bye, guys. See ya. Good, good stuff to see them, man. Oh, wow. I'll tell you, a lot of memories there. Um, got sidetracked. Are we going to tail the tape? Yeah, yeah we're going to have Coop come in quickly. Do we have a video, Coop? Yep, we, we do. We All do. right, tail the tape, season two, Pro Wrestler Edition. All right, Coop. Well, we're getting down to the bottom of this list. We're on number three this week of our top ten yep. wrestlers of all time. So coming in at number three for me, I'm actually taking a page out of Coop's book. You've been more of the territorial guy, whereby I've been yep. the national guy. 
Number three for me is Bruno San Martino. Nice. Kind of basically a, a territorial guy who was a national star. Now, this is a guy who held the championship for, I think it was like 2,800-something days. Yep. Um, again, was a national star in a time where you didn't really have national stars. It was very territorial. And also, uh, interesting, I actually did some research last night. The guy sold out Madison Square Garden 188 times. Wow. Yep, you know, that's impressive. Yeah, so that that's impressive. And, you know, kind of a, a, a man before his time, before wrestling was national, you know, this guy made the national star scene. Who you got, Coop? Well, I'm even going to go uh, more territorial and more old school. Uh, Lou Dez. Abe's heard of him. Uh, okay. <laughs> so Lou, Lou Dez was probably the original, what I call, national champion. He was with the National Wrestling Alliance. Uh, wrestled a lot in the Midwest. Uh, he held the title for about 10 years, and he's considered to be one of the all-time greats. I mean, he wrestled 50, 60 years ago, but um, the guy was just sculpted like a rock. Uh, he fought everyone in front of him. And, you know, if you look back in the history of wrestling, even Vince McMahon talks a lot about Lutez and, and the influence that he had because it paved the way for, like, the guys like the Bruno San Martinos that would follow that. So, uh, Luke Dez, if you haven't checked him out, uh, he's one of the all-time greats. Absolutely. You know, I actually, in reading, and once, once you told me your pick, um, Luthez and Bruno San Martino was like the dream feud that could have happened but never actually happened. Right. Lou kind of, as he was winding up, that's when Bruno kind of stepped in uh, and kind of became the next big champion. You know, for lack of a better word, they, that was the big champion, you know, even though they were territorial. I have to say, this is the first week. So you're at number three out of your top ten. This is the first week I don't know neither. either. You don't neither. know who Bruno San Martino. Neither. Really? Not Bruno. Right. Luthen. Every week Bruno. I knew at least one or the other. I don't I, know. Well, that's because I was going national for the most part. So you had it somebody. We, we don't know either. Yeah, I don't know either of these guys. Yeah. We have. Which now is getting me nervous to see if I even know who they're number one or number two. Um, there's, there's going to be there's uh, my list. Alex figured it out. Someone big is Somebody left off my list. Somebody big off, off, off Coop's list. Yeah. Somebody, I don't know. I don't know Coop's list. We don't, we don't, we don't know. Yeah, we don't know. Week, but somebody big is, is yeah. going to be off Coop's list. There is number three. We have two more weeks of uh, season two. We're going to see uh, in the upcoming weeks who is their number one and number two picks. And in traditional fashion, in closing every episode of KMA Talk Radio, um, it's time to see this week. Who belongs in a cigar insane asylum? Welcome to the cigar asylum. Did you know I'm utterly insane? We all go a little mad sometimes. Where logic and reason cease to exist. All right. This week, it's a Georgia man, not a Florida man, uh, steals a mortuary van. A dead body rolled out of a stolen mortuary van as an Atlanta man sped away from a crematory parking lot on Wednesday and led police on a chase through Georgia. Kajan Griffin, 23, remains on the loose and is wanted for several felonies, uh, the Conyers Police Department stated. When Griffin stole the mortuary van to escape pursuing police, a body on a gurney rolled out of the open back hatch and into the parking lot where it came to rest, police said. Fortunately, personnel were on site and able to safely secure the body as it wasn't going anywhere fast. Uh, the police chased Griffin through the city of Conyers into DeKalb County 
where the van eventually became disabled after striking multiple vehicles and blowing a tire. The suspect then fled the van and ran into the nearby wood line. Police searched the area but were unable to locate Griffin. I didn't think you can get away from him. I didn't think there were days where you could actually get away from a high-speed chase anymore. I agree. This guy did it. Helicopters and whatnot, right? Nope. And it just goes to show you that sometimes the dead can't even rest. (laughs) John Griffin, you are on Dolly this week's inductee into the Cigar Insane Asylum. There you go. That's this week's Cigar Insane Asylum. We are wrapping up our 10-year anniversary. Once again, two legends and legacies in this industry. Thank you so much. Bobby and Eric Newman, and everybody here, the full staff, Alan Goldfarb, Adria, the, uh, Cara, who's not here today, the full staff at J.C. Newman, they were amazing in helping us set up and get ready for this extraordinary event. Do you want to say something, Paul? I was going to try and take this the ashtray out of the way. Go ahead. Let's, we can maneuver. We got something coming. It's coming over here. Um, is that enough room? I think so. Yeah, we'll make it work. We'll make it work. But um, it's been an amazing 10 years, um, and... Congratulations to everything that you guys have done here at the factory. Those guys are making me nervous. What was that? They're making me nervous. Why? They think I got to drop they the got it. They, they got, got it. They're professionals. Why should stay? Uh-oh, uh-oh. They came the hard way. Oh, it's beautiful. Oh, Abe, congratulations right on right 10 years. And listen, we are so thrilled and honored to be selected to be the ones to help you celebrate this 10th anniversary. You got to drop it. And thank you for bringing Paul and co- I company. It. I got it. For where we're or to bring your whole entourage here, we are we're flattered beyond dreams. So thank you for helping us uh, help you celebrate this anniversary. No, thank you for having us. And like I said, everybody's been here amazing. We have this beautiful cake. We're gonna slice up. This is our tenth anniversary KMA cake. Uh, we hope to maybe do it again here in ten years. Absolutely. What do you think? We we you guys would love it. Back? Hey, we, we Don't wait it. that long. Come back anytime. But it, <laughs> thank you, Abe. Th- thank you to all your friends out here. My yeah. goodness. Thank yeah. you all for coming up to us. Yeah. Thanks to everyone who has taken part and spending their Saturday mornings with us over the years. We hope we made you smile, laugh, entertain you. Maybe occasionally we taught you guys something. But thanks to everybody who came here live. Thanks to all our fans. And uh, next week, uh, an interesting show. We've got Robert Caldwell of Caldwell Cigars. But until then, everyone, have a great weekend and keep it lit.